Blog Talk Radio. Good afternoon, everybody. Good afternoon. And this is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. I'll say that one more time. This is Kim with Black Free Thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. And I am your host. For the day, thank you for joining me. And again, we're Black free thinkers, but not the Kanye kind. And as for me and my Black free thinkers, we shall read books. I don't care if it's a comic book; read something. So, uh, it's been interesting. It's been interesting over the past couple of weeks. And so, you know, I'm getting back into this groove. You know, we're doing shows every couple of weeks, and and we're going to build it back up to a weekly thing. I need you guys to bear with me. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on in my life. And also, for those of you that don't know, I have lupus, and life just gets interesting. Every day is like a new adventure. just never know how I'm going to wake up feeling, all right? But, you know, life is really interesting because... There are times when the people around you need you, and they need you very much. And you you learn how to put them first. You know, I'm trying to word this carefully. But um, anyway, it's all good. It's all good. So it's good to be back. It's good that, you know, we're getting back into the groove of things. I've missed you guys as much as you missed me. I love you. And that's why I'm back. For those of you who are out there, you know, you can find the show on Blog Talk Radio. You can find us on iTunes. You can find us on Stitcher. I just got us set up on Google Play and TuneIn. So you can get us over there. And there's a couple of more venues that I'm going to get us set up on. But, you know, what I'm trying to do is get the microphone and the software and all that set up properly so that once I link this into all of that, I want a better sound quality, you know, there's some different things that I want to do. And now that, you know, I'm a little bit more at peace and I'm feeling better physically, you know, I'll be able to do some of these things. Um, In addition to that, you know, my focus is coming back. So now that the focus is starting to come back somewhat and I'm somewhat motivated, just bear with me, guys. We'll be there. But, you know, I'm, you know, I, I miss you guys. And, you know, I just think that we need to talk about these things. You know, there are other people having these conversations. You know, I don't post as much as I used to. And I probably should start again, but... Like I said, just the motivation and the focus, it was all off. But that's neither here nor there. I wanted to talk about a few things today. Um, It's just so much to go over, and I'm not even touching on really a third of what I really wanted to talk about. Um, So let's just go for what we know. I'm going to try to get through all of this today, and I should be able to get through it, but I'm going to have to talk fast because... You know, the Aretha Franklin funeral is going to take up a whole lot of time. So anyway, last week I mentioned to you guys about the prison strike. And it's important that you guys support, 
you know, the people in prison because the conditions are absolutely horrible. So the prison strike ends on September 9th, and they're making a number of different demands. You know, the, one of the biggest ones is to end the horrible living conditions and to end slavery, you know, prison slavery. So you want to get a better understanding as to how the prison system in this country is set up. You may want to go back and, you know, the prison system in slavery, how it was set up in this country and how it's maintained and how it's tied together. So you may want to go and check out the 13th and 14th Amendments. Go and read them to get a better understanding of how this is all tied together and how it all works, right, how it works now and how it's worked in the past and how it will continue to work until the people rise up and demand changes. If you don't, you know, I would also suggest that you go and you watch Ava DuVernay's documentary, 13th or 13, if you want to call it 13 or 13th, but um, it's excellent. And you will learn a lot from that. It's important that you guys get familiar. So, you know, and there are books out there that talks about this specifically. Uh, You can go and use the hashtag um, prison strike. You know, there are think pieces all over the place. But, yeah, check out her documentary. It's called The 13th or 13th. So just go and check it out, and it'll answer some of the questions for you. Because I think it's important. Yeah, let's start with that. You know, read the 13th and 14th Amendments before you watch the documentary. Then watch the documentary and go back and read it again and see if it has the same meaning to you or you have a better understanding of the written words that, you know, are before you. So, you know, what was happening with this prison strike is that, you know, words started getting across the nation and prisons, different prison systems started joining in on the strike. We had ICE detainees, um, you know, youth, juvenile, you know, detainees joining in with hunger strikes and with the ICE detainees. They were starting the hunger strike, and what happened, they were threatened to be moved away from their children even more, separated even more from their babies. So some of them were not able to do the hunger strike because, again, you know, the situation is already horrific. That would have added to it, and we understand when things like this happen. There was an interesting set of events in Minnesota, Minneapolis specifically. So they had a march, and they went to the prison system. I think it was the youth jail. And they were marching. They had a marching band. They were blasting everything. And then they set off the fireworks. And the young people that were in the, you know, detention center were banging on the walls with the raised fists and all of that. What the protesters thought was interesting is that the police didn't pay them any mind. And so, you know, that's what I read in the think pieces, but I just wanted to give you all an example of some of the protests that are happening around the country and, you know, the significance of September 9th, you know, the uprising at Attica. Go and read up on, you know, the history of prison strikes. You know, I want you to also go and read up on the strikes that have been happening most recently in this country. And there were a number of strikes happening in prisons in South Carolina, but all around the country. You know, these stories are not necessarily being presented on mainstream media. So it's important for you guys to get out there and look some of these things up. 
it's important, you know, you know, the slave wages, the poor living conditions, the you know, the 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 slop that they call food, you know, being mistreated not only by the system but the correction, you know, guards, the correctional guards and just you know, huh. Just need for you all to pay much more attention to what's happening. You know, there are people dying in these prisons and no one can explain why. You know, some mysterious suicides happening too. And in some cases, it's forced labor, so they're forced to work. You know, these fires that are happening in California, there are a lot of prisoners fighting those fires. They are paying them $1 an hour, $1 an hour, plus $2 a day for going out there and fighting a fire. And, you know, my thing is let that shit burn. Fuck them. Because what they have them out there doing is saving rich white folks' homes and property. And these are the same rich white folks that benefit from you being in prison, from them being in prison and working for pennies. You know, so capitalistic cronies and benefactors is all a bunch of bullshit, and, you know, and things have to change. Things have to change. So, you know, I'm not going to, you know, stay on that for too, too long, but I wanted to bring attention to the prison strike. Um, Go and watch the 13th or 13 by Ava DuVernay. Um, great documentary, some wonderful people in, in in the documentary talking about these issues. Um, make sure you have a pen and paper. So while you watch it, you'll see the names, you'll see people that you may want to reach out or you may want to do some reading up on so that you can see what they're doing and, and how you may be able to implement some of those ideas and some of the activism, you know, in, in your neck of the woods there. So... You know, I would encourage you to take notes when you watch the documentary. I would encourage you to write down the names of the of the people and the books that they mention, and also some of the you know some of the movements and you know the activists that they refer to. You know, it can help you. So, you know, I just think it's important that you guys understand that. Uh, register to vote. And check on the status, your status, your voting registration status. And like I said, at one point in time, I got very discouraged regarding voting in this country when 45 was elected. I mean, we already knew he was going to win, you know. I. What's really interesting about that is it, it felt like death. And... You know, I've stated on this show that I have a very hard time processing death. But it felt like death, especially when he gave his speech at the Republican National Convention. It felt like a part of me, just a part of me died inside. And look at what we're dealing with now. I mean, I've had to step away from not only the news but television for a while. You know, it got to a point where... Um, Raina and Jen didn't even mention the news to me because it was just traumatic. You know, watching all of this madness, all of this chaos, which most of it is manufactured. And I'm sitting here and I'm wondering why people aren't seeing this, why it's not being caught, you know, um, why it's not being called out, why the mainstream media is going along with it. You and I both know why they're going along with it. It's ratings. They get ratings which means money. 
which means happy sponsors, which means big bonuses, not giving a damn about the mental health of Americans, but I guess you can say, well, you choose to watch it. Okay, we choose to watch the news, but we didn't choose to live in this reality show that we're being forced to participate in. And we would be remiss if we were not to keep up with what's happening. You know, and what's what's upsetting to me is that the mainstream media isn't showing the policies that are being put in place. For those of you who aren't paying attention, the Trump administration is basically working with the banking system in an effort to allow the banking systems to start redlining again. So not financing homes in certain areas, which basically are black and brown areas, but primarily black areas, you know, and and it's going to, it's being dialed back, you know, and it's important that you guys go and you read up and see what's happening there. It's also important for you guys to see what's happening with you know, the educational system, what's happening with Betsy DeVos and the changes that are being implemented. One of the changes that, you know, that is being implemented is victims, you know, rape victims on campus. It's going to be harder for rape victims to prove their case, and they're going to end up protecting the perpetrators in the universities even more. So, again, you know, when you hear me talking about those of you that work in everyday jobs, when I say the HR is there, not there for you, HR is not there for you. HR is there to protect management, and that is, and that is what's happening with the government and the way that they're setting it up. They're they're protecting the status quo. They're protecting the men, primarily white men, but they're protecting the men. And you know, I just need for you guys to pay attention to question things, to continue to challenge the powers that be, and is is getting progressively worse. You know, and I'm only mentioning a couple of things because I don't really have that kind of time to go into it. But again, as I state all the time, trust but verify. So I'm going to need for you to get on up out there and look this stuff up on your own to see what's going on and, you know, how it's impacting you and impacting your community and the role that you play in it and what you can do to try to, um, you know, try to help minimize some of the damage of what's happening and what's going on. So, you know, I wanted to say that. But, yeah, make sure you go and register to vote. And then for those of you that are registered, check on your status because they are purging the voter rolls. Oh, well, since I'm talking about voting and, and, you know, what's happening with the federal government, I forgot to mention this, and I'm glad I just reminded myself. Do you know what they're doing along the border in the border states? There are some citizens that were born in America, have American birth certificates, they're challenging their their birthrights. And this is one of the ways they're going to be able to purge them off of the voting rolls. So pay attention to what's happening because, see, this is the thing. It's not just, you know, Latinx folks that they're challenging. 
See, people just keep forgetting about black immigrants in this country. The white immigrants pretty much are fine. And those that are so-called documented immigrants, they've been sending them back too. We told you they were going to do it. You didn't believe us. And see what's happening now. And some of these documented immigrants, some of them voted for Trump. Now you're sitting over there scared shitless. Some of you voted for him because you thought it was a joke. Well, ha-ha, motherfuckers. The rest of us have to suffer, including yourself. Will you do that shit again? I don't think so. But, um, you know, the whole damn thing is ridiculous. And if they're challenging their birthrights, black people, don't get shit twisted. Don't sit there and think, well, they can't challenge us. Yeah, the hell they can. They want to kick you out of here anyway. And so, you know, what's so interesting about this is, you know, we talk about whiteness, we talk about race and and the racial hierarchies, and white privilege and white supremacy and all of these things. What's interesting is, you know, these racial hierarchies and whiteness in and of itself and white globalism, white dominance. You know, this was all created by Europeans, right? And so once they achieved white dominance, then they wanted to become colorblind or post-racial or those things don't matter anymore, right? And even within some of these communities, you know, namely the secular community, oh, we're all Africans, you know, European when you didn't want to be associated with black, but now that you have the power, control, and money, and you don't want to be challenged by black and brown people, now you want to say there's no such thing as race. Now you want to say that we're all the human race, right, in an effort to deflect and derail the conversations. And in the secular community, you have people saying, oh, we're all Africans. Yet some of these are the same people that are now out there saying that white Africans, you know, white Africans or Africaners are being killed by black people and having their land snatched in, you know, which is, you know, a white nationalist, white supremacist, you know, um, um, argument. And it's not true. Let's start with that. But once you want to kill the argument about race, you know, we went from being, you know, you went from being European to we are all Africans and there's no such thing as race. And what gets me is some of the black people that fall for that. When someone tells you they don't see your race, what they're doing is erasing you from the conversation. And when I hear black people say that, I absolutely cringe. So anyway, I just thought I'd bring that up. I'm trying to remember where the hell I was going with it because I get so frustrated when, you know, I, I start talking about these issues. And I've talked about it so much over the years that, you know, it, it, it gets taxing and daunting, right? So anyway, I'm going to move on from this, but I had to bring that up. Because, you know, I hear all of these different arguments and, you know, it absolutely drives me bonkers sometimes. 
because I want people to start questioning the folks that are saying that they're colorblind, that they're post-racial, that we're all Africans, and there's no such thing as race. You know, and especially when they start talking about things such as race realism, which is cold for this is a racist motherfucker right here. When you hear someone talking about race realism, they are a racist. I don't know how else to put that to you. So anyway, moving on, just some things that I observed over the week. You know, you had um, I had some people tweeting different things, and one particular person was saying how they turned down an opportunity to cheer a panel at some type of event, right? And they turned it down because basically this panel was supposed to talk about, you know, pretty much civil rights, 60s, you know, that type of subject matter. But the only people that were going to be on the panel were white folks. So they call them WANLs, W-A-N-E-L-S, so white-only panels. And then you have MANLs, men-only panels. So uh, when I found out, I had never heard of such a thing. And so when I saw that, I just thought that was hilarious. So I'm just telling you about these things. So that if you see it or if you want to go and look it up, you'll, you, you, know, you can look that up. But you're starting to see more and more black people refusing to be put into that particular position whereas they don't want to necessarily be, you know, the only black person on the panel. And then in some cases they want you to moderate or cheer the panel because they don't want your opinion. They don't want to hear what black people have to say about black people issues because white people can tell it also ever more eloquently. And they understand our pain better than we do, right? They can explain it in such a better way. You know, white people have been conditioned to only listen to other white people. And for the so-called woke ones, you know, they claim that they want black input. But as soon as you're corrected by a black person, then, you know, your white fragility just crumbles up and dies. And then we have to deal with the fallout, the bullshit from that. So... You know, I'll probably talk a little bit about that. Not probably. I know I am in a few minutes. So just get prepared because I just can't let that shit go. It's like I'm living through a fucking nightmare, and we all know what I've been complaining about lately. So anyway, uh, can't do a show without talking about John McCain. The only reason why I'm mentioning him is because I can, right? And so, you know, you've been hearing all of this rhetoric, discussions, dialogues going on out here about John McCain, who he was, who he wasn't, a number of different perspectives. Um, you want to read a really good article over on the Black Agenda Report, Bruce Dixon wrote an article about John McCain and John McCain family. And so, you know, for those of you who aren't familiar, the McCain family owned slaves. So their wealth came from the slaves that were forced to, you know, to farm for them, right? So there's there's that privilege. There's that, you know, that capitalism. Get all of that happening there. And the McCain family exalted that capitalism. They encapsulated that capitalism. They are capitalism, right? And so what was interesting was 
Megan was claiming in her little speech that other people were living in privilege while her father was suffering in combat. And so I found that interesting. A privileged white girl and her privileged family are pointing the finger at other privileged white folks because her father was in, you know, a prisoner of war camp while invading a brown, yellow country. We shouldn't have been there. Imperialism, fascism, all of that shit there, but that don't matter. You upset because your father couldn't have a cheeseburger? McCain, you know, denied the Martin Luther King holiday in Arizona. Why didn't you mention that? McCain was a war hawk. McCain voted with 45 over 90% of the time. And the truth of the matter is the McCain family is the same as 45's family. The only difference is the McCain family gets to wear those fancy uniforms. So in conclusion, John McCain died. The end. And so it's been some really interesting things that I saw, you know, over the past couple of weeks that got my attention and, you know, for those that are interested, you can find us over on uh, Twitter. And I do a lot of retweeting on Twitter. I kind of just fell back off of Facebook. But I actually probably need to come back and revive it. And you're like, yeah, can we be saying that for three years? I know. I know. And so <laughs> I got to do better. I got to do better. Um, you know, and then one thing that I do want to address is I remember when, you know, 45 was elected and we were talking about the Russians. And, you know, I stated that I believe that they were involved in the disinformation and how I didn't necessarily believe that they hacked into the voting machines and had any influence on that. I take that back. I apologize, but I I believe I was wrong. And so I always talk about on the show how I'll come back and correct myself, and I'm doing that now. I do believe that they changed the vote count. I do believe that they hacked the machines. I do believe that they had a deeper impact and involvement in the election of 45. So for that, I apologize um, if I misled anyone or anything of that nature. That was not my intention. But as you learn better, you do better. You do more research. You know, I've been reading a number of post-mortem reports and this thing is a lot deeper than any of us can even begin to imagine. And so, you know, I personally think that a lot of this information is being withheld from the American public because they don't want people to become, you know, disenfranchised. Um, they don't want people to, well, not disenfranchised. They don't want people to become discouraged and discouraged from voting. 
so disenfranchised, wrong word, my bad. But, um, you know, I just want you to think about that, right? I want you to think about that and to think about um, what's been happening. Another thing that I think I touched on last time I spoke, I don't know. But, I mean, you so, you know, over the years I've been telling you about the different things that have been happening in Europe, particularly Western Europe. And I tell you all to watch Western Europe because it's usually a precursor to what's going to happen here. So as of late, they have been having a number of riots in Germany. And what happened was a white person was killed by so-called immigrant or refugee, which is code words for black or brown, right? And so they're over there and they're rioting. And, you know, what's interesting about all of this is with the with the reemergence, because they never went anywhere. They're just becoming a little bit more mainstream, but with the reemergence of the white supremacist groups, you know, the white nationalists, you know, it's starting to become more and more obvious to some people. We've been saying this for a while, but I'm just going to bring it up again, that none of this has been about economics. And we used to believe, and I was one of those people who believed that Americans voted with their pocketbooks, and that's just not the case. And this is the same thing that's happening over in Europe, particularly Western Europe. You know, and the thing is, the difference between us and them is that they have a way better social safety net program in these countries. And yet the violence is still there, and these groups are reemerging, which is, you know, another reason why I can sit here and say that it has absolutely nothing to do with money. And um, I've corrected myself on that, and I'll correct myself on that again. You know, you have people believing that 45 was elected because poor whites and working class whites voted for him because they were aggrieved and financially strapped. But that's not true. You know, the research is out there, and it was the money, the wealthy white folks that got Trump over the hump. They're the ones that truly got him elected. Now, you need to think about that. It's important. So, you know, I just need for you to uh, (laughs) pay attention because – Again, this is about anti-blackness, anti-brownness, you know, and anti-immigration, all of these things. It has to do with white fear and oppression and their response or, you know, their fear, their fear of immigration, their fear of the rising numbers of, you know, people of color, you know, namely black folks, right? It's too many of us running around. And this is what's happening. This is a backlash. This is a response to that. So, again, trust but verify. Go out and do some reading and get a better understanding of what's happening here. And um, for those that aren't paying attention, down in Florida for the race for the governor is down to a black man and a white man. And it's been a bunch of racism happening there. And what's interesting is you have white folks questioning the black man, calling him a socialist, questioning whether he's a socialist or communist. But they're not asking these white folks if they're fascists 
or imperialist, right? But what the hell do I know, a little black girl from the south side of Chicago, right? So, you know, I'm just tossing this stuff out here. And these are things that I want you to think about. But while you're thinking about that, I'm going back to, you know, the economics of the situation. I need for you guys to pay attention to what's happening with the unions and unions in this country. And I remember there was a man that got upset with me because he wanted me to talk about the splintering of the unions and what was happening. And I wanted him to elaborate on it, expound on what he was thinking, and, you know, he got angry with me. But the thing is, is that if you want me to talk about these things, you know, you got to kind of have to help me out so that, you know, I can see where you're coming from, do some research, and we can do the show. But you need to pay attention to that, you know, especially some of you, you know, black libertarians out here that are anti-union. Do you even understand what the what a union is, the purpose of the union? how it's helped black and brown communities, and how all of our social movements have been supported by unions. You need to understand that relationship and why some of the message that you're carrying, you know, the water that you're carrying for some of these white people, why it's so dangerous and why it harms you in the black community. It harms you and your family, baby. So... That's all. I just want you to pay attention to those types of things. And then, you know, you'll have those that have come in with the argument of diversity. And diversity is not interchangeable with anti-racism. It's not. No matter how you, how much you try to twist it, no, much, no matter how much you try to make it work, mm-mm. But unions have played a very important role in regards to, you know, racism and sexism. Because of unions, a lot of women were able to get employed as well. So, again, I need for you guys to do more research on the things that you're fighting against. Some of you are fighting against it because you were told that it was the wrong thing that, you know, these were bad things, these are bad institutions, and this is why this isn't working anymore. And you take it for face value and you run with it. Just like there was some type of marsh. I saw a video somewhere, and you had black and Latina women and folks about their status in this country. Are you a natural-born citizen? And they went up to this Native American, this indigenous guy, and was asking him that shit. And these were women that supported 45. And so, you know, it's really interesting. You know, it's discouraging. There was a poll that was just released that said only 3% of the black community supported Donald Trump, three. Now, there was another poll that said 36%. I don't know what to believe anymore, all right? So do your research, get a better understanding of what's happening here, 
And, you know, since we're talking about women, let's talk about white women for a minute. And, you know, again, there was another study, and basically it said that, you know, women, primarily white women, are, you know, increasingly supporting right-wing populist parties and in many cases are more radical than their male peers, their white male peers, let that shit sink in. 53% of white women who voted for Donald Trump. So anyway, uh uh-huh, you know, I'm going to move on. You know, but what's interesting is is that a lot of white women have been hiding behind, you know, gendered innocence, right? And and this public perception of innocence and docility and virtue and and all of those things, and it's a false perception. But we're not going to get into all of that, but um, it's just, it's important. You know, it's, it's important for you guys to understand what's happening out here and how it's impacting you. And like I said, I barely scratched the surface. But what's interesting about some of this is that I see a lot of white people making a lot of money on anti-racist educations, anti-racist organizations, many of them not giving a dime back to the black of the community when black and brown people, primarily black people, were out here talking about these particular issues. We were told that we were overreacting and that we were being hypersensitive, but now that you've figured out a way to monetize it and to capitalize on it, you're running with the same narrative, acting like you just discovered it, and you're putting it out there for clicks and speaking engagements and collecting money. And then you wonder why we get upset and why we talk about you the way we do. Just opportunistic at every turn. It's not just white people doing that. There were some blacks doing the same thing. You know, but see, some of these are the safe blacks that will only say things that will make their benefactors and sponsors comfortable. So you got to be able to discern between the two. And so, um, you know, we're going to start segueing really soon. But um, one of the things I've talked about is where I'm living and how I need to see more black and brown folks. And I've been seeing a hell of a lot more black and brown folks and I guess because I've been going outside a little bit more, right? And so I started taking polls. And I've kind of figured out that we're all bored. We all kind of hate it here in our own way. And, yeah, we're kind of tired of white folks and their bullshit and the microaggression that we have to deal with down here, you know. And it's so funny because... Some of the same white folks, you know, especially some of these white progressives and moderates down here, um, you know, you're not really woke if you only discuss race with other white people and you get offended when a black person corrects you. 
you know, your little white fragility is, um, you know, gets weak, all right? And it's so interesting because I told you about the one white woman, and she was talking about little Jewish, their Jewish friends stopped coming, and they don't know where they are, and they don't understand why they stopped coming. Well, you know, I can tell you why. I told you why on the last couple of shows. And so what's so funny is I told you, you know, she talked about a covenant and a covenant that they had with each other. And I find it funny because, you know, they're trying to use, you know, this Judaic language and concept and explaining it rather poorly, you know. And and then they wonder why people leave their group. And like I said, I was trying to figure out why that one guy was, you know, laughing so hard and saying that my presence was a breath of fresh air. You know, I understand it. I understand it now. You know, shit is just a mess. So anyway, when you're only discussing race with other white people, you're not really making the type of progress that some of you believe that you're making. Now, you're making some. And I'll give you some credit for trying. You know, but if you're still getting offended when black people correct you, then, you know, there's an issue there. And, again, you know, some some groups are doing good. There are some groups, like some of the surge groups, that have accountability. And so, basically, you know, they'll have, um, you know, a black person, black and or brown people that, you know, that they work with that will, you know, help them to maintain their integrity, that will keep them accountable. And that's a wonderful thing. And so, you know, it's just interesting, you know, watching this and and watching the black people or the hand-selected black people that, that you choose to put up front because they make you feel comfortable. They don't challenge your sensibilities. They don't challenge and critique you, you know, not in ways that makes you, that make you uncomfortable. You know, they tend to make excuses for you or allow you the excuses that you make for yourself. They let them pass. And I'm going to say for the umpteenth time, white people are not members of Black Lives Matter. And there is no, I don't care how many times you try to tell me that you are, you're not. You know, and it's interesting because, like I said earlier, you have some white people that feel as though they can speak for black people, that they can speak to black people's pain better than black people can. And and, and they start speaking about things and they want to interrupt like they're the Negro whisperer and interpret the words that came out of your mouth. You know, and then what's interesting is they try to throw money at you to, to you know, <laughs> to calm you down when you check them on shit and then sit there and look confused when you tell them to shove their money up their ass or give it to the other black folks over there that will say and do anything for that money, that attention, and that perceived power. You know, because they don't have backbones. They lost their backbones a long time ago. It was replaced with a damn dollar bill. You know, the scraps that you push off the table. So anyway, I'm going to let me move on because it's like 
if you're sitting there and waiting for me to pander to you, you're going to be waiting a long time and you're going to be angry. And, you know, the truth of the matter is you'll never be able to control me in the way that you want. It's an exercise in futility, and I wish you would stop. And um, so anyway, so, you know, doing this random poll of people, and, you know, some of us want to leave, but, I mean, I'll be honest, it's really nice, it's peaceful, it's affordable, it's quiet. Don't nobody really fuck with you unless you fuck with them. You know, and, you know, some of us have families that we need to take care of and support. So, you know, that's one of the biggest factors right there. But, yeah, you know, truth of the matter, most of us really would move away if that option was available. So, anyway, la, 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 la. So, we are into the first 45 minutes of the show. You know, I really want to start talking about... um the subject matter, but it's, you know, one or two more things that I want to address, right? So for those of you, and it wasn't, and that's the thing about it, I wasn't going to talk about this because I actually forgot about it, and I didn't forget about it, but I didn't write it on my little outline of things that I actually wanted to talk about today. And what happened was I saw a tweet go through my news feed there and my Twitter feed. And basically, it was from Good Kids Mad City, which is a group that is led by Kofi Adamola, right? And so Kofi was a member of Black Lives Matter Chicago. When I was up there, I worked with him closely. And so he has a group now called, you know, Good Kids Mad City. So basically, to make a long story short, they work with Vic Mensa. For those of you that aren't familiar with him, he's a hip-hop artist, rapper that's out there, and what happened was in Chicago, the police put together a bait truck, and the bait truck was filled with shoes, and they put it in the middle of an impoverished neighborhood, and when the kids walked up to the truck to look at the shoes and to take the shoes, the police started arresting them. And so once word got out about what was happening, Vic Mensa, Kofi, you know, their groups and a number of other groups got together and they started taking donations for shoes, right? And so last Sunday, they gave the shoes away. Now, mind you, it wasn't supposed to start until, you know, um, early mid-afternoon. People were lined up at 9 o'clock in the morning, grandparents out there with their grandchildren, you know, getting shoes for them. And it was a wonderful, wonderful, absolutely wonderful idea and giveaway trying to make up for the ways in which they were wronged. And it was beautiful, and those kids did an outstanding job. I sent Kofi a text message telling him what a beautiful job he's doing with those young folks and letting him know that I support him in any way possible, and he knows this. You know, I don't have to text him to tell him that. He knows this, right? And, you know, and it was all beautiful, but, you know, I cried. don't take much to make me cry in the first place. But in that particular situation, you know, when I'm sitting there and I'm looking at the poverty and, and, and how, you know, the entrapment, and all of that, it doesn't supposed to be, it's not supposed to be that way. 
It's not supposed to be that way. It's not. Many of these people have nothing. And to have the police there setting them up and trapping them, putting them, getting them caught up in the system, and this is acceptable. And for those black people that support Rahm Emanuel and, and, and what he's doing in the city, Rahm Emanuel should have been, he never should have been voted in in the first place. And he sure as hell should be voted out. But I just, you know, I get tired of talking about these folks and these things, but we can't get tired of talking about it. There are times when I just want to give up and be like, you know what, this is some bullshit. You know, people will figure it out for themselves, right? And then I'm reminded, you can't give up, Kim. You can't give up. You know, there's too many people that are out there hurting, and they don't have anyone to speak up for them. And they've been silenced and disenfranchised for so long and discouraged and disheartened that many of them have given up themselves. And so sometimes you have to look beyond yourself and think beyond your circumstances, you know, because I'll be the first one to admit that I am privileged in some regards. And I know that. And that's why I do, I give a lot away. I do a lot of things for people. I don't talk about it because it doesn't matter. You know, but if I ever sat down and talked about, you know, a lot of the shit that I did, some of you would be out there tripping, right? But, um, and I mean, the word is getting around. You know, I have people coming to me asking for help, and I try to help them to the best of my ability or get them to the people. And so um, I don't know. It's just it's disheartening on a number of levels. And when you're caught up in this, you know, when you're caught up in the middle of all of this, and especially if you're in the middle, you know, sometimes you don't know which way to go and you don't know what to say or who to say it to in many cases. So anyway, I think I'm going to have to let that go because um, I need to get into today's show. So anyway, the name of today's show is Dear Black Church, It's Time for Change. Right, so it says, please join us as we talk about the Aretha Franklin funeral, Black Church, outdated traditions of the Black Church, Church hurt, me too, hashtag Me Too, dismissal of Black women, misogyny, Black children, and much more. It's time for the Black Church to reevaluate some of its long-standing traditions and expectations. I'm going to cover a number of things, so please take time to listen carefully and give some feedback. I'm actually asking you all for some feedback. You can email me, blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. Again, blackfreethinkers at gmail.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you. I'm going to talk about a few other things as well. And so, you know, that's what we're getting ready to talk about. But, you know, before I go into, you know, 
really the meat of it. I was laughing at Michael Eric Dyson when he was talking about 45, and I'm like, Lord, you know this man don't know these words. You know, lugubrious breach, dopey doppelganger of deceit and deviance, dim-witted dictator. I mean, I just fell the fuck out. You know, foolish fascist. You know, he just kind of went in on 45, and 45 deserved it. Probably had his assistants looking the damn words up. Probably watched it 20 times. And because I haven't really been paying attention to his Twitter feed or anything about him, he's probably answered. But you know what? He probably won't say a damn word. It was so funny because when somebody, oh, Eminem, when Eminem, you know, wrote that rap about Trump, you know, it was a rumor out that they were trying to create their own diss track, this like, like, their own diss track to throw back at Eminem. That shit is funny. You know, I don't even know what to say about that anymore and about that administration. What is there to say? It speaks for itself. And for those that weren't paying attention, Omarosa was there. I don't know if you all saw her or not, but she was there at the funeral. So, yeah, Omarosa's been reinvited to the um, cookouts, y'all. But I already told y'all she can come to my cookout. I ain't worried about Omarosa. Omarosa can walk around my family's, you know, cookout. You know, we got some old school black women in my family. I ain't got to worry about Omarosa. Trust me, the black women in my family will, you know, have her in check real fast. So (laughs) we don't have to worry about any of that. So anyway, you know, Aretha's funeral in general, I thought it was absolutely beautiful. Of course, there are a few exceptions, and I'll get to those, but overall, it was a beautiful experience. It was a black experience, and I was loving it. Now, let me make sure I clarify. I love the music and the singing. You know, it's just, you know, I want to focus on the positive, right? You know, because, see, there is nothing like the black community, period. And this is why I can say I love being black. I love it. And uh, I can't say that I felt that way all my life. But as you get older and you learn better, you absolutely do better, right? And as I did more reading, getting a better understanding as to how we came to this position and to this state, and how it was created, manufactured, maintained, and perpetuated by white, you know, white supremacy and systemic and institutionalized racism, and all of these things. Once you get a better understanding in that, and you read, and it's like, well, damn, I was wrong, you know. And so, you know, and and you know, I've stated this, and again. A lot of things about me have changed over the years, but a lot has not. And in some cases, I've returned back to my roots, if you will. But what I will say is that I will never, ever, never abandon or deliberately harm the black community, period. That's, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to throw the black community under the bus, period. You know, and notice I said the black community. 
and not necessarily the black church, but the black church is a big part of the black community, and we need to understand that, right? I understand the purpose of the black church. I disagree with a lot of the ideology, but I understand the purpose of the black church, at least what the purpose of it was initially, well, some of the purpose, because some of the purpose was to control and brainwash the people and to and to basically you be use it as a tool or as a weapon to subjugate the black community, to not fight back against slavery and the slave masters and all of that. So, you know, again, I've talked about the black church and the white church. For the for the white church is based on fear and oppression. And the black church is based on hope and change, honey. That's why it resonated so well with Barack Obama and the black church. So, you know, I need for you guys to get a better understanding of the psychology of that particular situation. So anyway, um, you know, with that being said, you know, I love the funeral. It was way too long. I mean, I sat up. I started because in my bedroom I have a futon, desk, and all of that. So I have a little sitting area, right? And so I started setting up, had my raw veggies, blue cheese dressing, you know, had the whole menu for the day, you know, planned out because I knew it was going to be an all-day affair. You know, I don't know if you all have ever been to a black church or a black funeral, but this was like an extravaganza, so we knew it was going to be all day. When I saw that lineup, I'm like, this is ambitious as hell, right? So I had to be ready. Child, I started sitting up on the futon, and, you know, I was chilling. When Jesse Jackson got up there to talk, I went and washed the dishes and made me a sandwich. When I got back, he was still talking. I was like, damn. You know, but when I got back after I sat down, after about 45 seconds a minute, he was gone, so I was happy. But, um, I mean, that whole funeral, it was like the black Grammys, right? And her home going was legendary, and it reminds me of what's so beautiful about our community. You know, I I need for people to understand that we don't get, most of us, we don't get very much in life. And the little we do get, you know, there's some of you out there that don't want us to have that, white or black. And it's unfortunate. It really is. It's unfortunate because, you know, there is this thing called black love. There is this thing called black joy. There is this thing called black peace. You know, what is freedom? What does freedom taste like? What does freedom feel like? There's some people that will never want us to know that, never want us to feel that, never want us to experience that. So anyway, um, you know, I remember talking about the black church, and I gave I gave a young woman an interview uh for a book that she was writing, and I was talking about the black church and how the black church really was the only place that black women were allowed to go unescorted by a man without raising ire, you know, without being looked down upon, without being harmed. It was the only respectable place that a, that a black woman could go without having a man overseeing her, if you will. And I used to say that was past tense, but I no longer necessarily see it as past tense because it still holds true to a certain extent today. You know, in respectability politics, 
you know, is killing us on a number of levels. It's harming people. It's hurting people. It's violent. And getting people to understand this has is, is, is been really difficult, and especially when it comes to talking about the black church and, again, some of the traditions, some of the you know, some of the expectations of the black church. And there are a number of things that need to change. And, you know, it's because of the respectability politics. You know, this is one of the reasons. And mind you, I said one of the reasons why progress has been delayed in the black community. So someone was trying to express that opinion to me earlier. And I didn't necessarily disagree with his opinion, it's just that, you know, when I'm getting ready for the show and I'm putting everything together and I do my last-minute reading, I just don't have the time to really engage and dialogue back and forth. But even when I'm not getting ready for the show, for those that have been around long enough and those, you know, who know me in real life, you don't really get a lot of that out of me. You will sometimes. It just depends on how I feel. But for the most part, nah, I'm an introvert and quiet. You know, I make my observations, I'll say something, and I'll move on. But, you know, I just think it's a shame, you know, that black women are mistreated in the way that they are because it's black women that finance, support, and maintain the black church. And while we're doing all of that and maintaining the black church and the black community, we're being told that we ain't shit and we're especially ancient if we're not submitting ourselves to the arbitrary win, arbitrary will of black men and black men who subjectively apply these made-up, ever-changing rules, right? And and is patriarchy patriarchy for white people is just as bad as patriarchy for black people. It's the same shit. Patriarchy is patriarchy and everybody wins, including men. You think you're winning. You think you're in control. But it has just as negative an impact on you, you know, because it feeds into and maintains that toxic masculinity that you've heard us talking about over the years, and, and, and quite a bit of that became quite evident at this funeral, right? And so, you know, you're sitting there, and and some of you, you know, you're sitting there, and you're castigating the sisters while trying to slip one hand up her skirt and slip your other hand in her pocket. And I just don't understand. Because who the fuck do you think you are? And you're sitting here and you're deriding single mothers, but she didn't get pregnant without some help. So you want to talk shit about her, and and you want to talk shit about single mothers raising children, particularly raising single boys. But you didn't have shit to say about Lil Ray Ray and Tyrone getting three girls pregnant, three women pregnant at once. Because little Tyrone or Ray Ray may be one of your little outside children. You know, you 70 years old, and there's little four- and five-year-olds running around looking just like you, but ain't nobody going to say shit because they've been trained to shut up. Or you see yourself in Ray Ray or little Tyrone because you were once Ray Ray or Tyrone. So you all make excuses where boys will be boys. And, you know, I'm a man. 
Now, you on some bullshit and fuck you. Right? And so what was interesting, you know, about one of the very first observations that I made is that there were only black men front and center, you know, right there in in the, you know, prime seats, right? Front and center in the pulpit, and it was designed that way purposefully. You know, and like I said, I love the singing, I love the dancing, I love the clothes, I love the fellowship amongst the people with each other, just, you know, the joy that they were sharing with each other. I mean, just coming together, the fellowship, you know, that is one of the things that I do miss about the church. You know, now when it comes down to the rhetoric, you can keep that. And the rhetoric that was espoused at this particular funeral, it was dangerous and it was wrong, especially in regards to Jasper Williams. And the actions of Charles Ellis was absolutely horrible. You know, and we'll get into that. But, you know, from the very, and this is the thing that, that if you don't get anything else from from what I'm saying today, I need for you to understand from the very beginning, this funeral was geared more about the black church than Aretha Franklin, and that was just plain wrong. And I'll say it again. From the very beginning of this funeral, it was geared more about the black church, focused more on the black church than Aretha Franklin. How the hell did that happen? And why the hell was Bill Clinton there? You know, shouldn't he be somewhere in Shady Pines making s'mores and shit? I mean, he should be worn out stealing all that money from Haiti. So anyway, you know, my whole thing is you know, the focus was supposed to be Aretha Franklin. And what was interesting is they didn't really say anything about her children. They let her son sing a song. You know, he got up there and sang his little song, which was sweet, you know, sang a song to his mama. I could just see him as a little boy sitting there singing to his mama. You know how kids are. They sit there and they sing you a song, and then they still singing the same song 15 minutes later. You know, <laughs> Uh, I remember my nieces and nephews doing that, but a couple of nieces, a couple of specific nieces at that, you know, but they didn't mention very much about her children, her close friends, her personal interests, or anything that would have given us any type of insight on her humanity. Aretha was a person, and she was fiercely private, so we didn't know much about her. And, of course, you know, they would have been very selective of what they had to say, but they chose to say nothing or very little. You know, the reason why we know she had children because the grandbabies got up there and said a few words, you know. And, you know, you know, one or two of them mentioned about Aretha supporting Angela Davis and and the civil rights movement and she was going to build Angela Davis out of the out of jail. And, you know, even her father opposed that. He thought she was crazy. You know, yet 
she did what she felt she needed to do, and she wanted to support black women, and she wanted to support the black community when she didn't have to. And, you know, you have to remember, you you know, they like to romanticize these different, you know, civil rights movements, these human, these black human rights movements, you know, these different movements that impacted our community, but they romanticize it. They didn't really have anybody there. That's why when, you know, they would come to places like Chicago and they would go over to Gladys's restaurant over on the west side, how Gladys would sit there and feed them for free. I talked about how some of these children and young people and adults were going to sit up in the Woolworths restaurant, sit at the lunch counter, that they were going to be denied access to food, denied lunch or dinner, and then sit there and have water thrown on them, have cigarette smoke blown in their face, have people spitting on them. And the truth of the matter is, even if they had been served, they would not have been able to afford the meal, so they would have ended up going to jail any damn way. They had no fucking body. And Aretha wasn't the only one supporting them. Aretha's the person that I'm talking about today. Right? And so, you know, even her daddy, you know, he wasn't paying them no damn attention. He didn't really give a fuck about those people, only just so he can get, you know, his photo next to them and, you know, make it seem as though, you know, he was a friend of the movement. Now, whether he was or wasn't, I don't know. So don't take that as me, you know, you know, bashing him in any way. I don't know. And I'm sure there's information out there. I just haven't bothered to go and look it up. So I'm not going to speak on something that I don't know. But what I'm saying is is that with a lot of these black men in these black churches, it is about optics. It's about money, power, control, and position. And or ranking. If you consider position and ranking different, right? And so, you know, and, and it's, it's just, you know, it will be because of a black woman or black women that the black community will become liberated. Liberation will come through. The liberation of the black community will come through a black woman or black women. But what's unfortunate is that you have some black men out here that will fight us tooth and nail to the very bitter fucking end. And quite a few of you hate black women and have no no good damn reason as to why you hate black women and don't even really realize that you hate black women. You can't even recognize it. But you know that you do. You just call it something else. Right? And so what's interesting is, you know, up there in that pulpit, criticizing black women, single mothers, you know, and and just a number of things, and you're sitting up there and you're passing criticism while attempting to obligate us, black women, to pull you out of your fucking ditches, right, to feed fucking finance you out of your depressive state while we're drowning in our own depression and you simply don't fucking care. Because it's all about you, right? Attempting to derail and to overtake movements started and maintained by black women to focus on you and your needs. We've learned. We've learned from the past. Oh, we're going to address your needs. No, the fuck you ain't. And you never had any intention of doing it. 
And some of you just fucking selfish as fuck. You know, and so what's interesting is, you know, it was supposed to be about Aretha Franklin, but they were sitting up there praising her dad, and her dad was problematic as fuck. Now, that I've read up on. I haven't read up on whether he supported the civil rights movement or not fully, right? But I read up on his past, and it was problematic as as fuck. But, of course, they're going to praise her dad. Why? Because many of them were in that bullshit with him back in the day. See, they're not going to talk about that because they were doing the same things then, and they're probably still doing some of the same bullshit now. The thing is is that they have scared their followers. They have scared people into not talking about some of the shit. Now, there are some that are out there, and so some people are like, oh, that's just vicious gossip. No, it's a lot of truth to that shit, right? And so before I go in on Jasper, right, before I go in on Jasper, I got to say something about Charles Ellis. And Ariana Grande. First and foremost, Ariana Grande is white. Well, she's Italian. And for those that know me, you know I don't consider Italian people white. Only people I consider white are white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. Everybody else is on a white racial hierarchy. And um, so, yeah, Ariana Grande is white. Let's start with that. And that does not negate the fact that Charles Ellis had absolutely no right to put his hands on her. First and foremost, she paid for that outfit, and she can wear it wherever the hell she wants to wear it. Did you all send her a dress code? Did you send over a list of suggested, you know, attire? You know, she's young, very young. And I'm pretty sure she's not familiar with black church traditions, especially in in regards to funeral attire. She didn't know. And, you know, if I had been invited, (laughs) I would have been wearing pants. If that had been a problem, I already got an answer for that one, right? And so, you know, I really wish that the shit never would have happened, but it did. And so it has to be addressed. And, you know, what's interesting is with that particular situation with Charles Ellis and Ariana Grande, it opened up a lot of wounds that are painful for a lot of people. So please bear with me because I remember some of this shit. You know, it was triggering. First and foremost, he should have just allowed her to leave like all of the other artists. They got up there, they sang their song, they hugged the people up front who wanted to hug them, and they they went on about their business. And I don't remember, I'm going to have to go back and watch that damn 12-hour extravaganza and see if he held anyone else back and insulted them. First of all, you're going to insult her and say that her name's rem- name reminded you of something on a Taco Bell menu? What kind of shit is that? And then you brought her up front and center. You know, had her hop on a little podium, little box thing there, a little step, and you put your arm around her, and you did that. You brought her up front and center to embarrass her. And this is something that happens quite a bit in the church, especially if a young woman or, or a woman is wearing something that they don't approve of or maybe has on a little bit too much rouge or whatever the hell is going on there, and, they, and, they, and you want to bring them up front and you want to embarrass them in front of the whole congregation. You know, you have to put her in her place. 
so that she can be held as an example to the others to discourage them from participating in that type of behavior, right? And see, this is the type of bullshit that happens quite a bit in many of these churches, and this is one of the things that turns people off. To be honest with you, I'm surprised that they did not pull out the seat of the scornful and make her sit in it. You know, and they really tend to do this to young girls and women, you know, and especially women that they, they can't control, you know, wavered, untamed women, you know, and, and women that, you know, that they perceive who may have done something wrong and that they disapprove of, you know. And let me tell you, this is called rape culture. And it's widely accepted. In, in the black church, and it needs to stop. You know, there are black women who support and perpetuate this type of behavior, and I'm talking about rape culture. And that needs to be addressed and needs to be corrected because it's wrong. He wanted the church to see her outfit and to make her an example, you know, and just lauding her in front of them, but also giving those damn dirty-ass old men up front that were leering at her, giving them some extra time to, to eyeball her ass. You know, he wanted to say something about her outfit, you know, and he did in his own way, being totally inappropriate, you know, and he triggered a lot of women with the way that he manhandled her. You know, some of us know what that death grip still feels like. You know, when a so-called man of God pulls you into him with a damn fucking kung fu grip and there's nothing you can do to get away. You're just kind of stuck. And if you move too hard, you know, they're pressing into your damn ribs and, and it starts to hurt. You know, and the thing is, is that they know that they're making you uncomfortable. They feel you squirming, but they derive some type of satisfaction that you can't get away. It's bullshit. And it happens, and one time is one time too many. And it has to be addressed. It's wrong. You know, and he did this. You know, he violated her by touching her breasts and forcing her to stand up in front of everyone so that he can insult her. You know, and it's been done in a number of churches, and it continues to happen, and it needs to stop. And the way that he groped her, this is called sexual assault. You know, and I've seen a, a lot of different commentary, you know, and I've seen some of you gross-ass motherfuckers out here talking about this is how you shoot your shot. Really? So you approve of this. See, the thing is, is they see this shit, and, 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 and it's like it's kind of some of these guys feel like this is giving them the okay. It validates some of the shit that they do. And it was disgusting. And I'm glad people are calling it out. But what about the girls and women who were told that it was their own fault and that they and that they shouldn't have worn that outfit, or they shouldn't have been on, you know, in the pulpit, or they shouldn't have been alone, or they shouldn't have been put themselves in that situation, or they shouldn't have this and they shouldn't have that, you know, victim blaming. And you could tell that she was uncomfortable. She looked extremely uncomfortable, and she's not a joke. Want to sit there and turn her into a joke? She didn't ask for that, and she didn't deserve to be treated that way. And she was not wrong for wearing her outfit. It was hers. And the thing is, truth of the matter, if you all didn't know this, they invited her at the last minute. 
the absolute last minute. So not only, you know, did she do you a favor by showing up, but she probably did it for free. Then you turn around and you pull this shit. You're not supposed to insult your guests like that. Just like the guests aren't supposed to insult their host. And so, you know, you got these people out here, and this type of behavior has been normalized and justified throughout the existence of the black church. Charles Ellis had no business manhandling that that young woman like that. You know, and and what gets me is you have a lot of church folks defending this guy, right? Defending the so-called man of God and saying that the young girl needed to be corrected. And I guess my question is, is this what happened to you or to some of you? And you were told that it was your own fault. Look, it was not your fault. I've seen this type of shit happen with my own eyes, not only in the church, but in the community. I've seen this happen in the school and university. I've seen this happen in the business world. And I'll be the first one to say I'm guilty of going along with it and or saying nothing. But I've also spoken out against this, against this type of behavior and was subsequently punished for not towing the church company line. This happened, you know, and oh, I, I don't want to lose sight of the fact that this type of behavior, this type of treatment also happens to boys and men. And don't be LGBTQ. You know, you already get to beat down every chance they get, especially if their sermon is dying or taking a dive. So, you know, it's, the whole thing is just disgusting. I'm glad it was on display so that they can't try to weasel their way out of it. You know, but what they're going to do is try to blow it off and hope that it just goes away. And out of curiosity, I wonder what Charles has to say about Jasper's sermon. You know that's the good old boy network, and that's his friend. You know, what are his thoughts about Jasper's sermon? You know, and, um, you know, I think I'm going to go and watch well, the stream for um, Greater Grace, which is Charles's church. See what the hell he had to say today, you know, because he straight up felt her up in front of everybody. There was no way of getting around that. We all saw that shit. We know what we saw. Our eyes weren't lying to us, you know, and then I'm sitting back and I'm watching some of the church folks, and they're out here yelling blasphemy to anybody who says anything about Charles or Jasper or turning around and throwing out that scripture to touch not mine anointed, right, while defending Charles and Jasper. But, you know, what's interesting is is that they take that scripture and they take it out of context. When they talk about touch not mine anointed, it's talking about not touching someone physically, you know, physically like Charles did to Ariana, right? It doesn't mean that you can't verbally confront church folks. It doesn't mean that you can't call out the bad behavior and the bullshit of some of these church folks. Especially, they especially don't want you to say that if that person is some is in some type of leadership role or call themselves, you know, you know, some type of believer. You know, and I'm sitting here and I'm laughing because, you know, I'm not in the church and I shouldn't have to be sitting here leading Bible study with you guys. You know, but it's just interesting because this scripture is used to silence and scare anyone who disagrees with the believer, especially someone in leadership, when they are being totally out of line. This is plain and simply manipulation and intimidation. It's a manipulation and intimidation tactic, and don't fall for it. You should be able to call them out. You know, and then they'll turn around and say that you can't judge them, right? 
and and but I need for you to pay attention to the behavior and in their defensiveness and how they expect this loyalty. It's a false loyalty, but they expect it and demand it. You know, if you're going to talk about that scripture, you know, when David spoke those words, he was talking about Saul, and he specifically talked about how he was not going to raise a hand to kill Saul. And the gentleman, the, um, the gentleman that killed Saul, David turned around and killed him because that guy raised a hand to kill Saul. You know, and, I mean, even Samuel spoke out against Saul of the Bible. And so what gets me is that these so-called church leaders have trained their followers to listen to them and, and to silence anyone who challenges and critiques them. And they do it just, you know, they, they do it out of habit. They do it because it's expected of them. They do it because, you know, this is what they've been taught and trained to do. And it happens everywhere, not just the church. This happens in a number of different communities with someone that they consider as a leader or someone that they follow or someone that they like and they admire, and you come out and you say something about them and it's truthful, they're, they're angry. They don't care if it's true or not. They don't care about the veracity of your words. They just care because you're coming out against someone that they like. Now, fuck you, motherfucker. You know, and the thing is, is that the truth of the matter is they're afraid of the people. You know, and they want to hold on to their power. It is all about protecting themselves and protecting their position and protecting, you know, their cronies. You know, I need for you to remember that. And also, you know, David was corrected by Nathan, for those of you wanting another example. And there were many other people in the Bible who spoke out. How do you know who the false prophets are if, you, if, if people don't speak out? You know, if we're going to put this in a biblical sense. Right, so I'm just telling you that you all have a right to speak up and speak the truth no matter who the perpetrator happens to be. Don't allow their sycophants to silence you. Not at all. Mm-mm. And so, uh, you know, what's so interesting about all of that is, you know, there were some things going through my news feed on Facebook, right? And so, you know, there was a couple of status updates, and I was like, wow. So it's a young man. It's a young man on Facebook, and his name is Tony Reeves. And I like Tony, and I like Tony a lot. And if Tony were to, um, if Tony were to start a show, I would 100% support him because I respect him, and I respect what he has to say. Same thing with Carl. There's another young man named Carl, and, you know, a few other folks that are out there, you know. So anyway, um, you know, he did a couple of um, status updates, so I'm looking for it now. And I sent him a note letting him know that I was going to speak about him today, and he gave me permission to read this. So um, his first status update, he said, if you're uncomfortable and perhaps even outraged with referring to what that pastor did to Ariana Grande as sexual assault, perhaps you need to take a moment and think about two things. The first is that you've been mistaken about what sexual assault is, which is a violation of sexual consent. When you touch an area deemed private, breast, buttocks, vagina, penis, without asking the receiving party for approval, you've crossed it. 
a boundary and violated him, her, them. It does not have to be penetrative to be sexual assault or rape. This has been the case for a long time. We just weren't taught about this. So many of our cultures and families, because we have, I'm sorry, because we don't completely respect concepts like autonomy and boundaries within patriarchal power structures. The second thing you need to think about is that perhaps maybe deep down inside, you've been guilty of this behavior and you're experiencing cognitive dissonance because of groping and violent, violent of consent and boundaries of sexual assault than the way you've interacted with someone else in the past or even recently is now sexual assault and you've committed it and the recognition of what you've done stings now that you know what it is. Guilt has set in, or maybe you've been a victim of such, and you have to face that you're a victim of that friend or that stranger or relative or that ex. But regardless of your reaction to this discussion, whether regardless as to whether you've forgiven the perpetrator of this behavior or that you've been the perpetrator and been forgiven for such behavior and have a better understanding of boundaries and consent that you seek to reinforce from here on out, it doesn't change what sexual assault is. It doesn't change that it does great harm to victims of that behavior. Understanding what sexual assault is and having the discussion can be painful, disturbing, upsetting, and wounding for reasons that belong to you individually is the only way that this kind of behavior is stopped. You cannot have a world where women and children and even men can be safe and free to exist in autonomy without understanding what to fix about that world. You cannot have a solution without pointing out problems. This discussion hurts, but the victims are hurting that much more. Remember that. And he's absolutely correct. And let me add a little something on to that. You know, um, you have coercion. And, you know, I know a lot of people that are guilty of this, men and women, whereas there would be someone that they're interested in, and that person is not interested in them, and they continue, they try and try and try and attempt to get this person, and they try to wear them down. They try to wear them down to the point where the person will sleep with them or date them or what ha- what have you because they're just tired of this person asking them out or, you know, or making sexual advances that they go on and give in. There are some people that consider that as rape, and you need to stop it. It's called sexual coercion, and you need to stop it. And so what's interesting is um, Tony put a second status update, and I wanted to read this as well. And he said, P.S., it's true that religious institutions need to be called out for their abysmal perpetration or perpetuation of rape and trauma against women and children, but before the secular community starts to get too happy about pointing out how badly the church is fucked up, they should be just as happy to remove the log out of their own eye and deal with the predators in wolves and sheep clothing in the atheist secular free-thinking community. Don't front like we don't have atheist leaders and conference attendees who acted just as much a fool as that pastor there did if we're keeping it 100 And that is absolutely 100% correct. You have so-called leaders in this community that are aggressively um, chasing after people and aggressively attempting to have sexual relations with others, men and women. As a matter of fact, one particular leader in this community just confessed to raping his girlfriend and then took it down, took the post down, 
but people already had screenshots of it. And this is someone that was, you know, that's in leadership, that was on a major white atheist organization board, and, you know, and and out here advocating for certain other so-called leaders in the atheist community who are sexual predators, and he's out here advocating for them, and he's a sexual predator himself. And he stated that he was pushy and violated the consent of his girlfriend, and he raped her. And then they were working on their trust issues, and some kind of way she allegedly triggered him and how the relationship is irreparable at this point. So it makes me wonder what happened, how he was triggered, and what did he do? Did you lay your hands on her again, just in a different way? You know, that's just the latest example. I can tell you about some shit with these people. And I've told you some of it. Some of it you all just, you you refuse to believe. You know, some of you all believe it and you know it to be true. You're just mad because I said it out loud. And that I continue to say it out loud on this show. And that there is a hell of a lot more that I'm going to say. So, you know, that hasn't gone away. You know, I just find it interesting. But, um, yeah, you know, that young girl was sexually assaulted. You know, there's a picture with him giving her that death grip, and he's firmly grasping her breast, and she's looking down at his hand, and she's uncomfortable. But he had to put her in her place, right? And who are we to say anything because touch not mine anointed, right? (sighs) So anyway, I had to read Tony's status update because you have some of these communities out here that are trying to do that holier-than-thou bullshit. And, you know, there's shit. I mean, the thing is, is that some of these people think that they're hiding shit. It ain't hiding. You got so many frenemies in your midst, you wouldn't believe. You're up here bragging about shit, people that you slept with less. You don't think that shit is getting around? You don't think people are telling it? You don't think people know? But yet you all cover for each other. You're on some straight up bullshit. So anyway, you know, um, you know that type of stuff angers me because you know, in the black church takes up a hell of a lot of space in the black community, and they're not paying taxes. And 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 see, the thing is, is that it's the property taxes that help with the funding and the resourcing of the schools. And what I need for you to understand is not only the building that the church resides in, but a lot of these churches hold a lot of property in these communities, and they don't pay taxes on that either. And so as far as I'm concerned, they should be taxed 
And we all know that. I've been saying this for years. This ain't nothing new. But in addition to that, by them not paying taxes, and it's in most cases not even really helping the community, yeah, you may give out some groceries here and there. You may have a little light and heat program from the federal government that you have an office that people can come in and get up with their, their bills. But the thing is, is that the government pays you for that office space. And they pay you for the time, you know, the, the, the salary or the wages for that worker. So you're getting paid for that. Let's talk about the faith-based initiatives and all of that. But I'm saying all that to say this is that not paying taxes and the, the you know, the weak tax base in a black community, what that does is that helps to perpetuate and maintain white supremacy and state violence. And we need to talk about the black church and how it helps to perpetuate and maintain white supremacy and feed into state violence. It's a very real thing. And I am going to talk about it. So I'm just letting you know right now that that type of thing is going to end up coming up again real soon, and, you know, don't be surprised. So, you know, going over to Jasper Williams. Jasper Williams is a clown. Always has been, always will be. I remember when I was a little girl, and he would come to Chicago. At one point, I thought he lived in Chicago, but anyway, he would come to Chicago, and, you know, everybody would be all excited, and, you know, they would put him at a larger venue, and the people would flock over there, and it was always a certain set of pastors and churches, right? And, you know, the shit that he said, a lot of that isn't new. What I need for you all to understand is that, you know, there is a good old boy network within the black church. And a lot of the shit that they're condemning you for, they're doing the same thing, if not worse. You know, and some of the shit that they're pulling, you wouldn't believe. But the thing is, is that, you know, for some of you, you still wouldn't believe it. Even if we had it on video, you would still say, no, my pastor wouldn't do that. All right. You know, and the thing is, is that the stories are out here about what these guys have done and what they're into, you know, and people have been spilling the tea, but I'm waiting for someone to to really just put it all out there, and, you know, and I can't wait to see the fallout, but, you know, in reality, the truth of the matter is that these scary motherfuckers ain't going to say too much of anything about it. Why? Because the truth of the matter is that for many black and brown people, especially black people, the church is all that we have. And if you grew up with these people, if you were born into that church, born into that particular community, this is all that you know. And in many cases, it's all that you have. And when you lose, you know, it's hard to lose that community and that family that you've grown up with because, see, this is the thing. Sometimes this is the only family that you have, the extended family. When, you know, your family dies out or they turn against you, you know, these are the people that you've always been able to rely on. These are people that you've grown up with. These are people who claim to love you until you are shunned and ostracized by the church. You know, and you've grown to love each other despite the bullshit, right? You know, and I feel that black women in general need to stop funding and resourcing these churches. They don't respect you. But they do have these obligations and expectations of you to do what they want you to do, which in, which includes giving all your money to them. And Jasper Williams, with his right-wing white supremacist talking points, you know, Uncle Ruckus made Trump proud. 
And I wonder if he's going to be invited to the next faith leaders brunch. I mean, is that his angle? Is is that what he was trying to do? Does he want a seat at the table? And I know some of you are like, well, you're up here. You're condemning him. Tell us exactly what he said. What are you so upset about? It's a number of things, not just this particular sermon, but we'll start with this because this is the one that you see, right? He talked about Black Lives Matter, and he said no. And I'm quoting him now, you guys. No, black lives do not matter, Williams said. Black lives will not matter. Black lives ought not matter. Black lives should not matter. Black lives must not matter until black people start respecting black lives and stop and stop killing ourselves. He also said, it amazes me how it is when the police kills one of us. We're ready to protest, march, destroy innocent property, Williams said. We're ready to loot, steal, whatever we want. But when we kill 100 of us, nobody says anything. Nobody does anything. Black-on-black black crime, we're all doing time. We're locked up in our mind, and there's got to be a better way. We must stop this today, you know, on this type of bullshit. And so basically, you know, he shitted on black or shat on black women saying that as proud, beautiful, and fine as our black women are, one thing a black woman cannot do, a black woman cannot raise a black boy to be a man and described, you know, abortion after birth, basically the idea of children being raised without a provider, which is a father and a mother as the nurturer, you know, and he just totally threw Black Lives Matter under the bus. And he fed into that black-on-black crime um, trope, right? And this is what you all are financing. Talking about the gays should respect the straights. He also said the straights should respect the gays, but, you know, that's, the homophobia. He also spoke against integration. You know, he blamed integration and the civil rights movement for ripping the heart out of, you know, of the black economy, basically, or the black community. You know, and so just these talking points were violent and filled with hate, and they were unfounded. And the the data and the facts don't support this shit, right? Talking about black America has lost its soul. Stop giving these people your money. Stop giving them your time. When you looked out at that funeral, the majority of the people there were women. And many of the men that were there utilized these women to further their goals and their agenda. They make money. They capitalize off of black women. And then we'll straight up talk about you and 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 make you feel obligated to give them whatever the hell they want the minute you disagree. 
and will pull you up to the front and embarrass you like he tried to do, well, not try, like he did with Ariana. And the whole thing was just embarrassing. It's just fucking embarrassing. You know, and um, it's just, it's unfortunate because I'm hearing this message from a lot of older black men. And they know better. And what he said was very misleading. Again, like I said, it's, it's, it's harmful and it's violent. And, you know, what exactly is his proposal for a solution to the problem that he claims that we're having? And what did any of that have to do with Aretha? who was a single mother, who pretty much raised her family, her boys, single-handedly. This is how fights break out at funerals. You know, because it's like, you know, he spoke out against her as a single mother. You know, and he had an agenda. Period. You know, and um, he just told, he veered totally off the script, you know. And um, from my understanding, Aretha chose him to preach because I think she, I think he did the eulogy for her dad as well. But it doesn't excuse his behavior. It does not excuse the damage that has been done. Because of what he said, it does not excuse the fact that he's just given white supremacists, white nationalists, you know, 45 more talking points. But it's going to open the door for him. Mark my words, pay attention. And what's unfortunate is that the women will still go to his church, will still support him and give them money. You know, give him money, buy his books, buy his CDs, buy, you know, his DVDs or what the hell ever, downloads. And it would be business as usual. But, you know, the black church is basically bleeding people, bleeding members. You know, people are walking away from black, from the black church. You know, a lot of people are walking away from religion. Some walk to spirituality. You know, there are some that identify as nuns. And unfortunately, a lot of the black atheist, secular, agnostic community like to claim the nuns. But just because they're a nun, that does not mean that they're a non-believer. So again, twisting the facts, twisting the numbers, twisting the understanding to serve your purpose. And it's a lot of people walking away. And people should be asking, why? What happened? Where are these people going and what are they doing? And so, I'm just saying, 
you know, the church, there was a lot of there were some changes that need to be made. And one of the main, the biggest changes is respectability politics. That has to go. You know, and I've talked about Me Too, and I've talked about Me Too in the black church, and I have that, um, I have that, um, what are they called, pinned. So that should be one of the first ones you see up there. But this right here opens the dialogue to have an even bigger discussion about Me Too and Time's Up, you know, an even bigger discussion about, the, you know, the dismissal of women in general, but specifically black women, about the misogyny and the black children and how black children are treated in the church. You know, you are to be seen and not heard, you know, and you are to do as you're told. And teaching these children things that they have no business, you know, learning. But in addition to that, you know, looking at the way that he grabbed Ariana, you know, I've seen black children being grabbed up like that before by so-called leaders in the church, and we have all these issues with these pedophiles and, you know, febophiles and pederasts. And, you know, I can, I can give you a number of different names for, for you fucking perverts. And then some of them wonder why you have, you know, 12, 13-year-old girls walking around here pregnant. And then they're blamed for what happened. Oh, you shouldn't have been over there. And I understand in some situations, the situations are so dire, but that does not mean that you, you sacrifice your child in an effort to raise yourself out of whatever situation that happens to be. Or you sacrifice your child because you think that this person can help your child make it to the next level. Or you have one of these so-called church leaders that, that perpetrates rape of many different kinds on these different children, and the pastor is telling you to be quiet and not to say anything and let him handle it, and nothing happens. Do you all not understand that they are obligated to report that to the state, yet they don't do it? And if you were to call the police and to report them, then you're, then, then, then you're the problem. And then you're going to be the subject of the sermon if you're not just straight up chased up out of the church. And some of these churches, they've had to pay money to the families of children that were victimized by so-called leaders in the church. People have been run up out of cities, out of states. Let's not get that shit twisted. And for black girls and women you know, being put in those positions. They're being put in those positions all the time. And, and, and so, you know, let's talk about black girls and women. Well, let's talk about, you know, black femmes, you know, effeminate men, you know, you know, trans men or trans women that are being put in those types of positions. There are LGBTQ people that are being raped, being raped to make them straight. You have trans people that have been been raped to, because they're, you know, some folks consider them just confused, so they want to take them to force them into being whatever it is you think that they should be. It happens across the board. And this happened in plain sight. 
international television. And you still got people walking around trying to justify it and trying to blame that young girl and what she was wearing. You all invited her at the last minute. She can wear whatever the hell she wanted to. She bought that shit. Maybe next time you should send people, you know, some type of dress code or a tire guide or whatever you want to call it. But that does not give him the permission or the authority to to basically chastise and deride her in front of the entire church or the world, actually, shit. And so um, it's just it's so much, so much, so much, so much, you know, to talk about, so much to go over. You know, we're down to the last six minutes. Six minutes, Dougie Fresh. Last six minutes of the show. And so I see we have a caller, and I'll go ahead and pull the caller into the conversation for the last few minutes. We may run into overtime, so I'm letting you guys know that. Hello, caller, I see you. This is Kim. Hello, Kim. This is Tony. Hey, Tony. How you doing, honey? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Excellent. Well, I talked about your status updates. You know, I read a couple of them to the people, and I talked about, you know, what they meant to me, but I'll be happy to sit back and be quiet and let you have the floor for a while. Oh, well, (laughs) I'm very honored. Thank you. I'm very humbled. So um, I just want to make a couple of points um, with regard to Ariana Grande. And um, what I want to add is I want to add two things. So the first thing is, is like for the people that are actually saying that, you know, you know, that she shouldn't have been wearing that if she didn't want that kind of attention or that she was being inappropriate. I think we have to be a little bit more honest with ourselves with regard to the way that these pastors operate, because at the end of the day, it wouldn't have mattered what she wore. Right. People that are rapists and that are molesters and that are and that knowingly cross boundaries and that knowingly commit sexual assault, they know they were gonna do it regardless as to how she was dressed. It didn't matter whether she was dressed like a nun, it didn't matter mm-hmm. what kind of attire she had on, the pastor was gonna do what he was gonna do, regardless. Because right. she was a target. And that's and that's it, full stop. And and I think that we have to get off this idea that a victim can do something to persuade their rapist not to rape them. Because no power belongs with the victim or the target. Person right. that is solely responsible for what happened to Ariana is the pastor. Exactly. Full stop. And unless we actually frame the conversation in that manner, we will have all manner of women and girls in the church who will say, well, you know, maybe if I'd worn something that was, you know, sitting lower than my feet, I wouldn't have been touched like that by X, Y, Z. Because that's what's happening is that a lot of a lot of the people that are in these churches are using Ariana, and I can tell that this is already happening. They're already using Ariana, and they're saying, well, you know, we know that what the pastor did was wrong, but 
see girls, if you do that, that's what you get. And that's nonsense. Exactly. It's nonsense. Because all that's going to do is it's going to set her up to do everything in her power to keep men's eyes off of her only to end up a victim anyway because that's how people that that's that's how offenders work they work because they want to do it and it didn't matter what you did and it didn't matter how you what you did to activate their whatever was going on in their heads the fact of the matter is they saw and they wanted to conquer, and they did, and that's it. So I exactly. wish we could get off this idea that a woman can do something to avoid being raped or assaulted or molested or violated. There's nothing women can do. But there is something that men can do, right? And what men can do is they can call each other out. I would have liked to have seen more men actually call that pastor out and say, you know, you were dead wrong. And that is not acceptable for a man of the cloth to be acting in that manner. Because another thing about, especially, you know, within church atmospheres is that men will be far quicker to listen to other men than they are women. Exactly. Because when you're told that the the, the bottom line is like, with men, if you're in a position of power, you can only take other people in equal positions of power to check you and correct you and for you to listen. So what also needs to start happening is that men need to start checking other men, period. Men need to call that behavior out. They need to, they need to check their menfolk. In the church in particular, not of course not just in the church, but especially like in the church, it it needs to happen because most of the people that are speaking up to the men are women, the very people that are being targeted, and that's a shame. Exactly. 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 And you're absolutely 100% right. She could have been – she could have walked in there – dressed in a damn Santa Claus outfit, if he decided he was going to target her, he was going to target her, you know, and there were a number of other, you know, think pieces that have been out there talking about had she looked a little differently, you know, it would have, you know, it would have played out a little differently, but it doesn't even matter at the end of the day, it never should have happened. None of it should have happened, and she did nothing to deserve that. And to the women and girls at home, and, you know, especially the ones, if you've been through this, you didn't do anything to to deserve that. You did nothing wrong. And it's not about what you wear or what you say or how you behave. It's about how these men conduct themselves and what they've been allowed to get away with. And, again, you know, I've talked about the little good old boys network that, you you know, that they have within the church that is there, and it will continue to be there, and they will continue to do these things as long as we continue to allow them, which is why I say if you start pulling the funding and the resourcing out from under them, that will change a lot of things. But in many cases, 
a lot of this tradition, a lot of, you know, this, this, you know, the foundation of certain expectations in the church, a lot of that needs to be ripped away anyway. And in regards to the Me Too thing, I believe that a lot of women and girls that have been victimized by the church, they need to come out and tell it because they will continue doing these things. I'm just talking about, you know, people in general because it's not just the pastor that's doing these things. You know, there are some men that only go to church because they want a good girl or they want, you know, they want their pick of the litter, if you will. And another thing I want to make sure that, you know, this is understood, women engage in this type of behavior too because you have women out here that are sexually aggressive, that are sexual predators. And, you know, whether they're going after a man or whether they're going after another woman, it happens. And that's dangerous. And for people to blame the victim, that's that's been part of the problem the entire time, which is why you get some of the critiques that you get and some of the dismissal from the black church in regard to Me Too and Time's Up. And this is a conversation that's past due for the black church, but they're not going to confront that. You know, they're not going to do anything that's going to shake that foundation or anything that's going to, you know, upset their lifestyle, you know, their extravagant lifestyles that they've become accustomed to having. They, they, they're just not going to allow it. And, again, like I said, they've trained their followers, they've trained their believers to listen to them and not listen to anyone because, you know, they say they're shepherds and their sheep know their voice, right? So they're trained to listen to their pastors and their leaders and to basically challenge and to go up against anyone who challenges or critiques their pastor or leaders. You know, if if I were to go out in public and say something about Creflo Dollar or Joel Olsen, do you know there are some black people that will be ready to fight me? I believe it. Just be- I believe it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, and so, you know, I yeah. think- go ahead, dear. I don't say, yeah, no, I, no, I totally believe that. And, um, it's it's that kind of cult of personality, ironically, it, very ironically, that Jesus himself in the Bible sought to speak out against in certain sections of the Bible. So I find it amazing. It's just like, have these men become Jesus, or right. are are they just are they just mere men, just like everybody else in the world? It's like you got to decide. You you can't simultaneously say you know. Jesus is the only perfect person, and yet on the other hand, keep acting as if your pastor can do no wrong. Right, but see, it's called Jedi mind tricks because the first thing they'll tell you is when you start questioning people in a church, well, your your focus should be on God and Jesus and not man. They'll tell you that, and then they'll turn around and tell you that I'm human. I make mistakes. What you need to focus on is the God in me. And, again, these are Jedi mind tricks because, you know, they're slowly brainwashing these people to, quote, unquote, see the God in them and to try to see past their faults and to see past, you know, you know it's, it's just it's absolutely amazing. You know, when you start talking mm-hmm. about these things, pointing it out to folks, and there are some people that are starting to get it. 
There are others that are like are in denial, and I understand that. And and because you know we all go through that. Because I talk about the stages of grief, especially if you've been raised in the church, and you start waking up to this stuff, and you start bargaining with God. You you know it's like, all right, God, if you really there, if you really are true, then okay. Oh yeah. Make this happen. You know, you go through these stages, and 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 it's like, it's just I don't know. It's, it's just it's hard, and like I said, for some of these people, this is all the family in a community that they know. If they if they walk away from their church and they lose that community, what do they have left? And you right. know, with the sec yeah, and with the secular community, we fucked up so badly because we were supposed yeah. to create a soft place to land, right? But mm-hmm. what's interesting is a lot of the things that I see secularists pointing out about the church, they're doing the same thing and worse shit over on this side, which is why you have people like me and Raina and Jen and a few of us, we stepped back from the shit because we were calling some of the shit out, you know, and, and of course, yeah. we were, you know, we were vilified. Well, me specifically was vilified. And what's interesting is here we are several years later, and you got people trying to act like, oh, we just discovered this. We did a show, I believe it was 2012, you know, 2013, talking about white nationalism and black nationalism, but specifically white nationalism and white supremacists in the atheist community. And we were dismissed. I was dismissed. You know, and here we go a few years after that, they're acting like they discovered something. And even now, some of them are acting like they discovered something and they figured out how to monetize and capitalize off of what I said. And even now, they're still listening to this show and stealing talking points and and capitalizing. And this is white and black. And I sit back because I'm like, for me to be such an evil and horrible person, you sure in the fuck like what I'm saying? And you run with it. <laughs> you know. Well, I mean, it's and, not and funny, why, but it's it, but it's just yeah. like you got to sit back and just laugh, man, because um, and it it's crazy to me because we're sitting up here because I mean, let's be honest, and mm-hmm. you know, I said this obviously on my post, you put it out earlier in the podcast, but it's just like. It's crazy to me because you can't sit up here and look at, like, you know, the Catholic Church or the evangelical church and, you know, the sex abuse scandals going on. You can't sit up here and be like, religion is the root of all evil when you look at right. this kind of stuff, but then turn around and defend guys like Michael Shermer and fucking right. Jeffrey Epstein and guys like that who are doing yep. a lot of what these pastors were doing. Right. Right and see and see but check how you gonna how you gonna sit there and say how you gonna sit there and say oh well you know religion is the root of all evil and defend that and use the same right. exact excuses and the same exact we'll say unreasonable yep. demands for quote unquote evidence for their crime that the Catholic Church did how are you better man you're not your worst because you should know better because you've already right. seen this bad example. So you should know better. But check it out. You know, we'll do one even better than that, you know, because I've been going off about this, especially the past month, about how the secular community 
is basically playing footsies with the religious community, specifically Jordan Peterson, and how they're merging together, and you have these blurred lines coming. You know, you have these blurred lines there, mm-hmm. and how mm-hmm. the common denominator, the common denominator in all of this is white supremacy. And they will look past their non-belief or belief if it, if it boils down to white male dominance. And that is what it is all boiling down to. You know, with some of these libertarians, or with the majority of the libertarians in the atheist community, you know, and I'm talking about the white libertarians and some of the confused-ass black libertarians, it's like this. They may claim that they're not racist, but they are willing to adopt the white nationalist and white supremacist platform if it helps them get to where they need to get. You know what I mean? And, and it's right. just amazing when you see this and you start pointing this out, but no, you're a hater. You're bitter. You're angry. And what's so funny is especially when I hear people, you know, making those accusations of me, and I was like, so I'm all these things. I turn down speaking engagements because I don't want to talk to all you people. But when I do show up, I make you give the money away to radical black organizations of my choice. And I said, this is not about money and celebrity with me, but there are some of these people out here that would do anything and everything for $5. But going back to the merging of the religious and the secular communities in their effort for white male dominance, this is growing. And I'm warning them. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about it in the past, but I just didn't have specific names and examples. There are plenty of specific, because, I mean, I was seeing, you know how you see shit, but you're like, no. Mm-hmm. You, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so, and then it starts, you're like, no, that can't be. So you think you're tripping. So you, because you're so used to getting gaslit that you start gaslighting mm-hmm. yourself, right? And mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. start putting all the pieces together. And you're like, don't you see this? And and then you're told you're being hyperbolic or hypersensitive. And you're like, um, yeah, 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 exactly. They like that word. But see, those are all of those white supremacists, white nationalist talking points. They like to say divisive. And I'm telling the secular community, I'm telling them, you know, we've been telling them for a while, but with this IDW, this – um. Um, intellectual dark web. Yeah, it's the, it's the damn devil personified. You hear me? You know, not that we believe in the devil, but that is just evil. And the thing is, is that I know we have this thing about the concept of good and evil, the concept of good and bad, but that is just—I myself it, shudder to think about yeah. what's going to come from the IDW. Well, do you understand yeah, and, where I'm coming from with that? I do, 100%. And, it, and it's malicious. It's, it's deeply malicious. And, you know, this is all it's, – it's really like it's a comedy of errors because this whole intellectual dark web system is set up to, quote, unquote, trigger the liberals, quote, unquote, trigger the SJWs, trigger the mm-hmm. social justice warriors, but it's all just going to backfire, and it's already backfired on them. Um, exactly. To a great degree, you know what I mean. It's just like, it's like the people that voted for Donald Trump, they're out here, you know, sticking it to the man, quote unquote, and 
finally free to speak their minds and finally free to bring in somebody who thinks like a business versus a politician, but then they finally turn around and see that they went out of their way to stick a knife in the people, stick their knives in the backs of people that they thought were just, you know, too sensitive or just weren't strong enough to exist in our culture without being accused of being hyperbolic and triggered and all this other stuff only to turn around and find out that their own rights have been slashed away from them. It's like the guys that voted for, you know what I mean? It's like you voted for, you know, all those black and brown people to have their Medicare taken away and all their quote unquote free welfare benefits taken away only to find out that your very community, your very white rural poor community now has their coal, their, their medical benefits taken away from, all the coal miners that are now dying of black lung that were being supported by the Affordable Care Act. You out here thinking that you you got us boxed in the corner only to have cut your own knees from underneath you. Exactly. Exactly. You know what I mean? And it's just, and it's their leaf is different than our food stamps, though, right? Right, 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 right. Right. It's it's, and, it's okay um, for those other people to have rights or for to, for other people to not have rights. But, you know, when you infringe on our rights, you know, now it's a problem. Flexing for the complexion exactly. is what I call it. That's right. If you know, you got that right. You got it right. And that's why I'm sitting back. Let me tell you, Tony. Let me tell you, you, you should hear the conversations that take place between me, Raina, and Jen, because it's like, here we go, several years later, and we're laughing our asses off because everything we said was going to happen is happening and more. It was, it was worse than what we thought it was. You know, because there have been a couple of situations where we were like, damn, now we know this, but we didn't know all of that over there. What the fuck is really happening, you know? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's just the whole thing, even with the IDW, there is a, you know, of course, it's, it's, it's undergirded with racism. And someone's like, oh, they have Ayan, um, Ayan Hersey Ali. And I'm like, look. And so, you know, when I was at the Black European School that I went to this summer, and I was talking about Ayan Hersey Ali, because she's from Amsterdam. So, of course, she's one of their local, in some cases, oh, the Netherlands. Yeah, yeah, the Netherlands. I had a good time. And um, or a local embarrassment. It just depends on who you're talking to, right? And so they were talking mm-hmm. about her, and I said, what I need for you guys to understand is that she's being influenced. And so the feminist that was there, famous feminist that was there talking, because she was, you know, um, guiding that particular talk, and, you know, she kind of looked at me strange, and I said, okay, understand this. I'm not saying that Ayan doesn't have any autonomy, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that she is being supported and protected by these white libertarians, and they have influence over her. So speaking these right-wing white supremacist talking points that come out of her lips just a little bit too often, that shit is lucrative for a black person. But not only that, if these people weren't financing and protecting her, trust and believe she'd be somewhere in a box by now. Because remember the guy that I mean, the guy that directed that film she was in, he's dead. He's good and dead. And she has a bounty on her head. 
And so that's yeah, why I try to get people Say that again, dear. I'm sorry. Yeah. Theo Van Gogh. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, he's good and dead, and they want her too, you know. And so um, the whole thing is just is horrible, but – when you have people like that, you know, and, you know, not just Ayan Hersey Ali, I'm going to put her to the side. Let's take her out of the conversation, even though she's relevant to it. I'm just going to talk in a more generalized form. When you have certain black people that are out here that want the money and the celebrity and the power, there are too many of them that are willing to shuck and jive, huck and buck, fetch and step to get those scraps off the table. And, again, they're only getting scraps. They're not getting the real money. And the truth of the matter is they're never going to get the real money. And the reason for that is because you sold yourself out at the beginning. They know exactly who and what the fuck they're dealing with when they're dealing with those particular people. And they know to give them just a little bit, and that has satisfied them. You sold yourself cheap. You did that shit to yourself. And the truth of the matter is they know that they are still empowered. Why? Because they can give it and they can fucking take it away. And they do it. Right. And so it's just interesting to me, you know, um, it's just the whole thing is just fucking interesting to me. But pulling away and backing away from that, you know, specific community was actually the best thing I could have done because there are some things I can see with a hell of a lot more clarity right now. But also there are some headaches that I was able to avoid. But what's even more satisfying is the fact that I'm sitting back and saying to myself, told you so, because people are starting to realize and see some shit. Like, "Mm mm-hmm, I wasn't making the shit up. This was really happening. And the thing is, is that I ain't even told, I ain't even, it wasn't even the tip of the iceberg of what I could tell folks about what the hell is happening over there. But it's not worth it because they've turned it into a religion. They get angry with me when I say that, but this neo-atheism, this neo-secularism, they've turned it into a religion. They've turned into the very people that they claim that they dislike and disdain. And you can't tell them nothing. Of course, you know, when you say that, you're going to get accused of, you know, equivocating between, like, organized religion and, you know, what atheism is, which is, you know, at its base root is, you know, the non-belief in a God or supernatural forces. So, of course, we're not literally saying it's religion, but when you treat it as if it could be or when you make it so that you cannot question leadership – when you really are supposed to be questioning leadership and questioning everything, you know, it does become a bit disturbing. It does become a, I mean, it becomes really disconcerting. I mean, at the very minimum, you have to ask yourself, do we really want to create an atmosphere that allows us to be, we'll say above and beyond what, our religious forebears were at their worst? Are we really ready to transcend those types of power structures and allow for inclusivity? Are we willing to allow for people to be safe, including trans people, non-binary people? Are we really ready to do that? And, you know, if we are, then let's get to that because they can't go to the church. Right. The church has shunned them, right? Right. But, here you are 
saying that you're for that, and yet you got turfs all over the place. Exactly. And so and the thing is, is that in the reason why I maintain that it's like a religion, the only thing that has bridled this community as far as it being, you know, an unfettered power structure is the fact that most of them have not figured out how to, number one, organize. Can't organize their way out of paper fucking bag, you know, and then also <laughs> the activism because most of them are lazy, you know, they're lazy. And they're ignorant, and then also beyond, <laughs> besides not knowing how to organize, not being real activists, not really wanting to do the work of an activist and, and to take the beating of an activist because it's not an easy lifestyle. But in addition to that, they have not been able to figure out how to translate this or how to, how to convince people to move from virtual-based or cyber-based to real life. So they haven't been able to figure out how to move it offline. And that's been a problem with the white supremacists and these alt-writers and and these white nationalists because they have a large following online. They just can't figure out how to move this from online to offline. And that is the same problem with the secular community. You know, and so it's interesting and it's actually humorous to watch because in a few situations I'm like, oh, I can tell you where you went wrong with that. And this thing right here that you're getting ready to do that you're planning, oh, that's going to fail gloriously. I had to get real good popcorn for that day so I can watch that shit. You know, it's like, you know, and it's just <laughs> – you know, it's just turned, like you said, it's, it's a comedy. You know, you talk about the comedy of errors. But I'm just sitting back and I'm looking at this and I'm like, you know, you all haven't figured it out yet. And, and, and you know, sitting there and watching them turn against each other because it, it, it got to the point, it still is at that point, where you see them turning, you know, against each other, feeding off of each other, which is why it will never grow. And that's why when I talk about, you know, this particular community in general, especially with the libertarian base or foundation of many in this community, number one, is built off a particular ideology that was basically put together and designed to be non-compromising, which is why they had to shut down the Atheism Plus, which is why they had to shut down the feminists which is why they had to shut down the social justice warriors because it's all about white men and what they want. And anything that deviates outside of what they want is called mission drift. So instead of compromising with people and working with people and incorporating some of this, they'd rather rip it apart, tear it down, kill it, and start over. And the reason why they can do that is because of their fucking privilege. They have the resources to start over again three, four, five, ten times. They can do that. The rest of us can't. That's the difference. And that's another reason why they come out here with these particular tautological arguments saying it's not about race, it's about class. Look, your whiteness, your white privilege affords you the ability to look past race because you don't have to deal with that on a daily basis. And that's why I look at some of the black folks, especially the ones that come on here talking about their black libertarians. First course question I always ask them is, you know, do you know who Ann Rand is? No. Then you're not a libertarian, baby. 
or have you or have you read her stuff? Have you? It's like what 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 literature do you have? Right. <laughs> that can actually back up, or can you even tell me how you were convinced into embracing libertarianism? Right. But see, that's like the thing. what we don't actually even convinced that you to think that that was right. defensible. Exactly. And I'm right there with you, but, you know, it's like this. We don't even get to the book part if you can't tell me who she is because that's another thing that goes back into when I talk about some of these activists are lazy. Do you know how many people in this community don't read? I mean, they just fucking don't read. And then you want to point at the, at the religious read. community. Right. Won't and don't. <laughs> you know they'll they'll read tweets all day and horoscopes. They'll read that shit, right? Mm-hmm. But you ask mm-hmm. them to read a book or to pick up a book about you know critical race theory or pick up a book about gender studies. Oh, I keep forgetting these are evil things. They don't want. Let me see here. Well, let's pick up a book talking about you know our our current socio political culture. Well, they don't want to read a book about that. Then what the hell you want to read about? Right, right. And ironically, you know, if you read those books, you would. It's it's interesting because it's like if you can, if you read books like you know Slavery by Another Name or you know the New Jim Crow or Do You Want to Talk About Race or books like right. that. If you read books like that, you would know that the very people that you are actually trying to reach and to bring on your team are the very people that these books are actually addressing. And it's giving you some insight into their lives and it's giving you some insight into, you know, the history of the church, the history of the African-American church community. It's giving you insight into these guys and it's saying, here is a way to extend an olive branch to them. Here's a way to make yourself I don't even want to say, I don't even just want to say appealing, but here is a way for you to say you don't have to be stuck in that community. You don't have to be stuck in that place. Here's something that we right. have to help you transition out. And there are programs like, you know, recovery from religion and things like that. But I mean, honestly, even those programs are touched with scandal now. And it's oh, oh yeah. I mean, it was such a scandal even then. All of that was happening even then. It's just that it was kept quiet, you know. Because I mean, I like I said, I was privy to a whole bunch of shit, which is why sometimes I would come on and talk just mad shit, and and I was not necessarily challenged. There's a reason why, because they know a lot of the shit I know but they also don't know all that I know, you know, and mm-hmm. I don't give a shit about telling it. And try some crazy shit, I got enough money to sue your ass. So what? <laughs> and, and, and it's just like it's sad that it has to be that way because, you know, we can do better and we should do better, you know, as a community. But it's like, as soon as you, like I said, as soon as you pick up a book, you know, like the new like, so do you want to talk about race? You know, as soon as we even suggest something like that, you want to call, you want to come out and say, well, you know, like you said, mission drift or you're being a social justice warrior, or, you know, we should focus right. on that. That's not what atheism is about. And you're at that point, it's just like, well, 
No, you're absolutely correct, and that's why I'm looking at them and how they're trying to castigate the black church. And I was like, shit, I'm like, you all are doing the same damn thing. And anyone who speaks out against it, you know, you know, you try to shun them. But, I mean, everybody knows what's going on. Because it's not like most of these folks are trying to hide it, you know. And, and the ones that are trying to hide it, you know, they're not doing a very good job because this is getting around screenshots, forwarded emails, you wouldn't believe. And we're sitting here and we're looking at this and it's like I don't feel sorry for them. I'm laughing because we told you so, and that's the end of that, yep. you know, and I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm looking at it, and some of these same so-called white liberal moderates and progressives in this community, they're the same ones that get angry when we turn around and we correct them because, you know, with one particular person, she was chastising a black person, talking about, well, you don't know that person's situation and telling them basically that they weren't being a good black person by not supporting this other black person in this way. And when the black person she was chastising turned around and said, the person that we're talking about is white, then that good white atheist disappeared, didn't have nothing else to say. But you want to lecture me mm-hmm. on how to be a good black. Funny how that works. Right, know. right, right. Which just so which on. just goes back yet again. It's just a matter of you know people who are in a position of privilege will listen to other people in a position of privilege or not challenge them, but they'll challenge somebody who they consider you know not in their class. And it takes right. and it takes you know a fellow white progressive to talk to another fellow white progressive and say, hey, you know what? I think you need to check yourself on your privilege or you need to check yourself on how you approach this person or I think you need to stand back a little bit and start from zero. Right. Right. And the whole thing is just, like I said, I'm just laughing at it because there's some people that, you know, I know they want to say something to me, but they know good and damn well you better not say a fucking thing to me. Because I'm not going to help you. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm not going to do anything but sit over here and continue to drink my tea and laugh at your asses because you brought this shit on yourself and I don't feel sorry for you. And so if that makes me hateful, then so be it. But, um, you know, I don't have to run into a brick wall three, four times to figure out you ain't shit. You understand? So... So that's well, that yeah, goes. and yeah, and it's just like I said, it's just it's really sad. It's really sad, and you know, it's it's one of those things where it would be it would be so easy to turn it around, but you know, doing that requires actual activism and actual sacrifice and actual um, readjustment of priorities. And um, my my whole thing is, it's just like you can't be looking down on people who are about social justice and social justice is not just about addressing racism and sexism and, and homophobia and transphobia. It's also about simply the fact that it's about addressing social needs. It's about addressing things like homelessness, things like poverty, because these things are important. And if you really believe that we only have one life, 
then you have to believe that quality of life is important for everybody. You know what I mean? And if you really care and if you call yourself a humanist, you have to be you have to be vigilant about making sure that you do what you can. And even just speaking up about stuff like that can can really get people literally telling you, well, you know, you're getting off the goal. The, the focus should just be about the fact that challenging God beliefs. And it's just like, well, just like you said, Kim, it's like once you let go of the God belief, how do you function in this world? What should a just society actually look like? Those are the kinds of questions that people who deconvert actually ask themselves. And if you're coming right, out and, of a community, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? If you're coming out of a church community that you don't feel safe in or that you've been ostracized from, right? you need somebody to be able to go to and to say, hey, you know what? I'm struggling to, I'm struggling to eat. I'm struggling with my mental health. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. You should not have to be told you are getting away from, you know, your your performing mission drift by doing that. You should not be told that right. that's not important or that that's not a priority for us because it is if you're a humanist. Exactly. And see, and see, and that's the thing, and that ties back to what we were saying earlier about the organizing and activism, and I was talking about how some of these people are lazy, want to call themselves activists, but they're lazy. But this goes back to something that we've been teaching from day one. If you want to push the black church out the community or you want to talk about how insignificant the black church is or you want to see it um, see it, you know, decline or what have you, you have to replace some shit. So where are the people going to go now if they need some food to help them to make it to the end of the month? Where are they going to go now if they're trying to get some help with their gas and light bill? Where are they going to go now if they need someone to help them with their resume or someone to that can give them a ride to the polling place so that they can vote? And unfortunately, in the secular community, they feel as though some, too many people do, not all of them, but too many people feel as though once we get you away from religion, our job is done. No, there are still too many people out here that are suffering. And what's interesting is some of these people who were firebrand atheists and atheists all the way, how now they're calling themselves activists and calling themselves humanists and don't give a damn about nobody else but themselves and their close cronies. They ain't trying to help no goddamn body. I'm still waiting on the goddamn, you know, school sticker. You know what I mean? For them to show up for, you know, one of these so-called programs they got. I ain't seen shit and never will. And the thing is, is that they don't fucking care. And just because you gave some a few people $5 here and there or what have you, now I'm not saying that they don't care about people because they do. I'll give them right. that. But the thing is, is that there has to be consistency. You have to build a foundation. You have to be organized. It's called build and grow, build and grow. That is how you do that, but many of them are too lazy to do it. And another thing is is that in some cases they're not necessarily lazy. They don't have the right people behind them. There are people that will support you online. I mean, I've seen people put a status update or, oh, I just ate an apple. And you get a 1,000 likes because a 1,000 people like the fact that you ate an apple. But then you post, oh, well, I'm reading Democracy in Chains by Nancy McLean. And you get three people to click like. Just backwards. 
fucking ass backwards because somebody should more more than three people should be clicking like, and it should be several people on that thread asking you about that fucking book. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. I just sit back and I'm just looking at it all. <laughs> I'm looking at it all, and that's the reason why the secular community will never measure up to the church, and especially the black church, because you you know uh, they many of them don't want to do the work. They want the money, and see the thing is, is that with some of the with most of these churches, it takes a lot of work to run a church, and it takes ten yeah. times more work to start up a church. So these people are hustling to get these churches up and running, you know, which is why many right. of them rule it with an iron fist because they know what it took to put that together. Unless they mama and daddy left it to them, and they got that dynasty thing going on there. You know what I mean? But otherwise, if right. they built that church from the ground up, they worked hard. And, you know, there were a lot of tears shed with that shit, you know. But, um, I yeah. mean, we could, we could go on and on, but we already know what the deal is. And we already know that with some of these people, it was never about the community. It was never about people. And some of them, they call themselves activists. They're activists, but they feel that their role is to try to pull people away from religion. That's it and that's all. But not caring about the total person, not caring about the role that the the church, especially the black church, plays in the black community. Because, you know, it's it's really interesting because um, I did a talk with Freedom From Religion Foundation, and I called out Sam Harris. And I said, you wonder why you don't have a lot of black and brown people in the community? People like Sam Harris is why. And I said, you know, there are a lot more black and brown atheists, agnostics, and non-believers and free seekers out here than you realize. Because um, with the Black Lives Matter community, as well as the Black Power community, as well as quite a few in the civil rights movement, there are quite a few of us out there that are atheists, agnostic, free thinkers. You know what I mean? There's a whole bunch mm-hmm. of us out there. We just don't believe in the bullshit that's happening in the white secular community because it's a lot of racism and it's toxic. And unfortunately, you have some of the blacks over here that perpetuate and maintain that in the sense that they want to be the overseers. Right. And, you know, and and anytime you ever want to talk about, you know, focusing on efforts to, you know, reduce poverty within our families, within our communities and things like that, Sam Harris will turn right around and say, well, you know, that's just identity politics, quote, unquote. Right. You know yep. what I mean? Black Lives Matter is identity politics. And, you know, and, you know, even who even like he won't he won't have guys like Ty Coates on his show. He won't have Sikavu Hutchinson on his show, on his podcast, but he'll have somebody like Glenn Laurie, you know, who mm-hmm. is effectively a black libertarian who <laughs> who's got plenty to say about again? Glenn Laurie? Oh yeah, I know who that is. Go ahead, sorry. Yeah. So like Professor Glenn Laurie, he's got plenty to say about black people protesting, but he has well, I won't say little to nothing to say about the people that, you know, Black Lives Matter groups and, you know, the young protesters are protesting against, but he'll basically wave it off and say, well, you know what? There's bad people on both sides. And he, Sam Harris, like, openly admitted that he wouldn't have, he wanted 
guests like Glenn Laurie on because he felt that they, that people like Glenn were not touched by identity politics, and that's why he will interview them, but not, you know, a Tahanisi Coates or anybody like that. And I just find that very coded language for I don't want to be challenged. Right, he wants those comfortable blacks. He wants the comfortable blacks that are not going to cause him any type of discomfort. You know, the ones that understand the talking point, right? And um, what's so funny is... Or that just won't challenge his. Right, right. And, I mean, even when you talk about atheism and the way that they practice and, 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 you know, the way that they practice atheism, that's identity politics too. But they don't see it that way. You know, and when you point that out, then you're the one. But, see, I'm just a troublemaker. I'm divisive. You know, I won't tell the company line. I'm, you know, I, I, I'm I, not looking out for the greater benefit of the community. You know, all of these different things that I've heard about myself. And like I said, I love the black community. We got our issues, but I am not going to abandon the black community. I'm not going to throw them under the bus, not for these motherfuckers. That's not going to happen. Right. You know, and the thing is, is that the truth of the matter is, is that if I, if I went to, you know, pretty much almost any black church and I told them that I was hurting and that I needed, I believe I'll be able to walk away with something, even if they knew who and what I was and what I believed. But, see, my thoughts have evolved over time. And for some people, I was never truly a member of the community because I, I, I just absolutely refuse to throw the black church and the black community under the bus. I can't do it. I've seen what we went right. through, you know. Right. And they'll or, never be able and, to get me to do that. Go ahead, honey. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, yeah. And and it's just like, you know, when – and it's and it's and it's subtle ways of doing it. You know, when you – and I've literally, like, because I live in Cleveland, Ohio, like, I've, I've attended some of these, like, free thinker groups. And, you know, I've got people coming to me, you know, in the age of Google coming to me and saying, well, so religious. It's like – you can't hmm. read a book on it. You can't Google it. I think you know why black people are actually religious. I think that you go full well. Educate them. Exactly. 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 And yeah. by the way, I don't speak for all black people. So right. <laughs> right. Right. You know, Why I speak for all. Me? I speak for all the black people in my bedroom right now. Those are all the black people I speak for. All the black people that's inside of Kim's bedroom right now. That's who I speak for. And as of right now, the only set of eyes I see are mine. Ain't nobody else in here with right. me. So that's the black person I speak for. Well, right, exactly, exactly. But it's like, it's like you you listen to guys like ask questions like that, and it's just like, you know, you know good and well why black religious people exist. Like, you know good and well where the community came from, and if you don't know, research it. Look it up for yourself. Do the work yourself. Don't expect me to say something, and then you just believe it. You know what I mean? Right. Actually go and read a book about African-American religious history and learn for yourself, man. Just go out and learn for yourself. Exactly. 
Exactly. But, you know, that's too much like right, you know, because, see, that's the thing. These white people, especially in a secular community, they want us to read their books, but they don't want to read our books, you know. Right. And it's just, you know, it's just interesting. Same thing with the feminist community. You have the white feminists and the black feminists. The white feminists don't want to read the black feminist books. That's why it's so easy for them to invite us to a conference on a damn plantation. You know what I mean? <laughs> and we're supposed to be okay with that. I mean, oh. <laughs> and then get mad. Because we're mad because you're trying to drag us to a damn plantation. Oh, you're being divisive. And, you know, and mad because we didn't want to support their little march, the first women's march. Oh, you're being divisive. No, we're not being fucking divisive. 53% of you motherfuckers voted for him. You know, and, you know, if you you heard the beginning of the... Well, you heard if you heard the beginning of the um, podcast, I was talking about, you know, the, the, the fake innocence and a fake docility of white women and how they have been some of the most violent um, perpetrators of racism in this country. True story. True, true story. True story. And it's just, and it, and it's like, and it's not like, it's not like, I don't know, genuinely well-meaning or good, like white feminists or anything like that. But overall it's like this. Most feminists have taken a lot of their points from black feminists who were ignored exactly, and who were only validated either after they were out of the spotlight or well after they were dead. You know what I mean? So the Me Too movement – Right, right, right. And like, you know, the Me Too movement for – the Me Too movement, for example, which I I fully back, we can't forget that these were started by black women – who are trying to encourage, you know, black women and black girls to actually to not speak blame up. themselves. Exactly. Yeah. And to speak exactly. And to encourage talking them about Burke. to live in their Tarana Burke. Right. Right. And you know, not long after that, that movement gets hijacked by Hollywood. Yep. In the aftermath of, you know, Harvey Weinstein. Yep. And naturally you know, plenty of public, plenty of white feminists who tend to, you know, simultaneously, you know, back that movement, but then rail against intersectionism and, and all that. Like, you know, Scarlett Johansson will, on the one hand, be all about Me Too, but then on the other hand, ignore the problem of accepting roles that should be going to trans actors and saying, who cares, basically. Right. Right. You know what I mean? Or you'll have an Asia Argento who is on fire for me too and campaigning against Harvey Weinstein. Meanwhile, she basically groomed one of her actors and one of her directorial efforts. Yep. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And that's why, you know, sometimes when you hear me going off about there being female sexual predators, you have some women out here and you know, they'll chase they'll ask a man very aggressive with men. You know, and and the guy will say no, not interested, and they will continue to hound him until he gives in. That's called coercion, and it's a sexual violation. Not just when men do it to women, but when women do it to men. And that's why I just sit back, and that's why when Terry Crews spoke up, you know, I was really happy mm. for him. And there have been a number of other men that have spoken up 
you know, about situations like this as well. And more need to speak up because, you know, feminism, even though there are some men out here that put it down, it, it, it helps them as well because this is how we're going to be able to tackle, you know, toxic masculinity. So, I mean, right. trying to, you know, sometimes it's like talking to a brick wall and shit, you know, because especially when you have some of these men out here that only think with their damn penises and they're selfish and they're only interested in what will make them feel good, make them feel better, and give them whatever it is that they want at that time, you know, and it's just unfortunate. Right. It, it is it is it is it's extremely unfortunate and it's also hypocritical because it's just like a lot of these same men will come out and they'll say things like you know well nobody cares nobody cares when you know men and boys get raped so why do we have to talk why are we all about me too and things like that but when a Terry Cruz comes out and tells his story it's like oh well you know there's no way that dude could have been taken advantage of what a wuss why didn't he fight back all this other stuff. And it's just like, well, you know, you don't really care about anything except people just stand quiet. Because when male victims do speak up, you're still not sympathetic. Exactly. So how much did you really care? They didn't care at all. They just want people to shut up. They want the status quo. They want to be able to do whatever it is. You know, even though you have these men that are out here saying that they don't have any privilege, yeah, the hell you do. Because if you didn't, you wouldn't be fighting so hard against these things. And they fight, like I said, tooth and nail. And it's unfortunate, you know, especially in the black community, the way that some of the black men fight against black women. But like I said, you know, they have this expectation that we're obligated to pull them, like I said, pull them out of their ditch. They want us to feed, fuck, and finance them until they feel better about themselves, never mind the fact that we're depressed and we're going through our own shit too. But it's about them and what they want. And once they get back on their feet, they leave you and say, well, you're just too depressed for me. I can't handle that. I didn't sign up for all of this. You know, and um, and it's just the whole thing is interesting. You know, I've seen men out here that were deceitful, but trying to do it in such a way, oh, well, I was just trying to help the situation. No, the fuck you weren't, motherfucker. That was a power play. That was a power No, it wasn't a power play. I was just trying to help. No, how, did, how in the fuck did you think that that was going to help anybody but you? Right. And then get mad when you won't take their calls or acknowledge their existence anymore. Now you're wrong. You know, so anyway, my darling, we're going to have to wind this up, but I'm definitely going to do another show next week, and we'll see what the fallout is from Charles and Jasper this week, but, um, you know, next week I am going to do another show about the black church. What specifically, I don't know, but there are some things that have come up. So what I'm going to do is hit you up in the inbox, and then maybe we can chat sometime offline and um, talk about some things. I have some ideas, and I think that you and I will work well on them. Awesome. Can't wait. Excellent, my dear. So, all right, well, you guys, look, this is Black Free Thinkers with my friend Tony here who called into the show, and like I said earlier in the show, whatever Tony chooses to do, if he starts his own podcast or his own webcast or blog, I got his back 100%. 
And so we are black free thinkers. We are here to challenge you to think and live for yourself, not convert you. My name is Kim. We are black free thinkers, but not the Kanye kind. And as for me and my black free thinkers, we shall read books. All right, y'all. Until next Sunday. All right, Tony, my dear. Thank you for calling in. Much love to you, honey. Thank you. Very welcome, Kim. Much love to you, too. You take care. You too, dear. Bye-bye.